thought shallow plots my name is erica i really like horror movies my name is katie and i really like overanalyzing things so katie what are we overanalyzing today today we will be discussing scream Wes craven's 1996 meta horror classic oh right i love this movie so much I actually have been wondering, when's the first time you saw it? Um, I was very young. Yeah. Uh, probably. I mean, we were like five when it came out. Right, yeah. So I, you know I have an older sister. My sister's five years older than me. So when she was getting interested in horror as a genre, I was still too much of a scaredy cat. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember watching it, oh, probably in the year 2000. Yeah, I would have been about 10. My yeah. sister would have been 15. Yeah. Cool. Um, so like 10 years before I ever got around to watching it. Yes. When I was and a scaredy cat at college. I remember thinking that it was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. And yeah. now I laugh at that. Yeah. Because it's, it's not. It's not the scariest movie. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good horror movie. It's, and we're it's gonna, a classic. And we'll talk about that. But it is not scary. No. Uh, at, certainly, it's one of those movies where as you watch it more over the years, it, you see it for uh, something other than its its yeah. scare value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been watching Scream for a really long time, um, and I love it. It's actually a, a movie that I, I tie a lot of nostalgia to. Mm, yeah. That's nice. Um, let me just explain the plot of this film in one sentence. Um, basically, an unknown killer dressed as the Grim Reaper, obviously like a dime store Grim Reaper, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is killing off students one by one, and everyone is a suspect. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. And I feel like that's a really great one sentence encapsulation of everything that happens in this movie. Yep. There is a unknown mm-hmm. killer dressed as the mm-hmm. Grim Reaper. Yep. Um, and he's killing people overwhelmingly, students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is really a who done it, right? Yeah. We're we're kind of wondering up until the end who done it, who done it, yeah. or who is doing it yeah and the idea of like who to trust and can we even trust ourselves mm-hmm. is like a big deal in this movie yeah so uh katie who's your like who's your favorite character in this film let's just kick it off oh okay uh my favorite character is dewey Dewey's <laughs> he's great. my sweet precious boy so dewey is the he's the sheriff's deputy yeah i know normally fuck cops <laughs> normally fuck cops you hate cops yeah for 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 a white woman <laughs> I am the primary audience of who the cops protect. It's true. It's true. You hate cops so much. Yeah. Um, no, I particularly hate cops in like TV shows oh, and movies. They're awful. Yeah, and because of yeah. the propaganda of it. Yes, the cops. To make us think like, yes. oh, if you ask for a lawyer, obviously you've done something wrong. Instead yes. of like, that is your fundamental that right. Is your right. Lawyer yeah. up. Yes. First, Always lawyer up. First calls to your lawyer, not your mom. Yeah. Absolutely. Do yeah. yeah. Moms are good too though. Yeah. But um uh, anyway so you like dewey. i love dewey anyway <laughs> He's just sweet and so precious and he gets out of the cop game and then goes back into it so obviously he he has a mountain to climb to win your approval but he does it he does so it. how does he win your approval it's really through his relationship with gail yeah i really love his relationship with gail i i totally agree i think that gail the gail weathers aka courtney cox yeah the uh the the journalist yes right um, I think that both of their characters are incredibly different and mm-hmm. it is a, like watching their relationship blossom over the first movie and over the subsequent sequels and requels yeah. um, is really beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a beautiful opposites attract story. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, his plus, relationship yeah. With plus we have the great like showman's factor of David Arquette and Courtney and Cox's Courtney real Cox. life marriage. Yes. 
you know, until the very last most recent movie where they were no longer married. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I just love the um, the sort of there's kind of a sense in this movie of being stuck in cycles and like the past informing what you're going to do now Mm -hmm. and just history repeating itself, especially as the movies go on, which is how we see in every single one of the sequels. It's the same thing. Dale and Gale and Dewey. Dale. That's Dale. their ship oh, name. Ship name. <laughs> ship name. It's that or Gooey. No, Dale's better. <laughs> Gooey. So Gale they, and uh, Dewey. They, you know, always start out not together in a relationship. They broke up or it just didn't work out. And then over the course of the film, they fall in love again. And then we get to the next one. And look at that. They broke up again. And I just, it's frustrating, but I love it. I think it's right. And I love the idea of a couple who, like, works really well when they're in this super high-stress situation and have this, like, trauma bond working yeah. for them. Yeah. And then the moment they have, like, a nice, stable, normal job, nine-to-five shit, just, like, living their lives, it's like, oh, we don't work, actually. In normal circumstances, we're awful. Right. We need the trauma. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like, every time. Um, Who's your favorite character? I think my favorite character is Tatum. Tatum's so um, played wonderful. Played by Rose McGowan. Like, I think Rose McGowan's absolutely fantastic. Um, also been just recently watched that movie she said in which um they used the story of rose mcgowan and taking down um harvey weinstein who i'm pretty sure was a producer on this film this is a weinstein Weinstein production and you know it was the 90s yeah a lot of things so we've got we definitely have a lot of our 21st century lens informing this 90s movie yeah um but i like tatum i like rose mcgowan as an actress i always have she's always like to me played the like cool bitch and that's like always who i aspired to be oh i didn't know yeah uh she i feel like uh, i think in scream i'm thinking in jawbreaker another fantastic movie um yeah she's always just this like she's popular she's pretty she's fashionable and she's just like a fucking bitch and i love that and that's something that i was like i want to be cool and you know unconcerned like her like you i feel like um Though, if she had been popular when we were growing up, mm-hmm. we would have done the internalized misogyny thing that we did to, like, Megan Fox. Absolutely. <laughs> and would not like her. Yes. That's it's fair. because she was the older cool chick rather than our peer cool chick. That right. We she get, was we my able sister's to... age. And I yeah. thought my sister, I, my sister was, yeah. I mean, she's my sister. So yeah. I was like, ugh, whatever. But her friends were super cool. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and yeah, they and liked super me, cool. which mm-hmm. made me like them, right? Yeah. That is um, a good thing. So I really like Tatum also, I think, because, like, I'll, let's just get into it now. Um, I have a huge crush on Matthew Lillard. 90s Matthew Lillard just hits different. I'll take I'll take a 2000s Matthew Lillard. Okay, okay. I, I just feel like there was something care. very, like, er Matthew Lillard about the yes. 90s. Well, because you get him in Scream and SLC Punk, which is one of my God. favorite movies. Yeah. Um, he he does, honestly, I think he does Shaggy very well he does. he does shaggy a service like he was basically made for it yeah so these days yeah. he's big in the dungeons and dragons scene we love that for him oh i love that for him as well and i also i spent a lot of time as a kid watching that movie without a paddle which is oh. a really good movie it's a solid comedy i have vague se- memory actually i haven't seen it in a while so maybe now like i would notice something problematic about I'm it so maybe sure. I, let me not yeah go out on asterisk 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 it's a movie i thoroughly enjoyed as a child yes um and by child i mean early teen right which are children and actually hey that's a pretty good segue into what we want to talk about next which is that all of these characters are children are children Uh, this happens a lot in slasher films and you know we'll we'll get deeper into you know what that even means but i feel like this this happens in slasher films where overwhelmingly the cast or the characters are adolescents yeah and they act as 
simultaneously children and adults at the same time, which is to me what adolescence is about Mm -hmm. is, is figuring out how to be an adult and that liminal space between childhood and adulthood. Right. I think my favorite example of that in this film is the kind of juxtaposition between the way Tatum dresses for most of the movie with like her little crop tops mm-hmm. and her prominent nipples oh, that those... I know you'll want to discuss. Woo! Yeah. Um, versus when he, we see her actually like in her house, comfortable in her room and like her jammies with her little plush stuffed bunny and her stuffed animals. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's just like, Oh, she's a child she's who wants child. to be seen as like this yeah. in charge, cool girl adult. And as a teacher, I spend a significant amount of my time around adolescence. I I see it. I see the, I can do stuff by myself. I don't need anybody's help. And the answer is no. No. You you still very much need some some help and assistance. You're, you know, you're learning the skills, but you're not there yet. Right. Right, yeah. And like in this movie, adults are just so absent. Oh yeah, which again I think is is very quintessential slasher film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think pretty quintessential '90s. '90s as well. Um, I think is the only okay. So we've got the let's talk about the adults. We've got the principal played by yeah. uh, Henry Winkler, who's an interesting character. We'll discuss more. Yeah, we've got the sheriff mm-hmm. who never stops talking about cellular telephones. <laughs> um, we've got technically Gail Weathers, though she's oh she's technically she's, an adult. I yeah. feel like she's I don't know early thirties. Yeah, sure. She's an adult. I do not want to call Dewey an adult. He is 25. Yeah, 25. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're a child, baby. Love you. Yeah. 25 is, to, to be a, a sheriff's deputy? At 25? 25? Like, I sure, know. yeah, 25-year-olds are adults, you know, yeah. like, that that frontal cortex is, is pretty well completely as yeah. developed as it's going to get. But to, to, to take that much, give... A person that young that much responsibility yeah especially how they make a Um, point of kind of emphasizing how young he is in comparison to like the sheriff yes like what was the scene you were talking about where the sheriff where you know the shit's gone down they've got a killer on their hands i think the curfew has been put in Mm -hmm. place and the sheriff is outside smoking a cigarette he makes a mention like pick the wrong week to quit you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and and dewey comes up to the sheriff and he's like hey sheriff how's it going you know talking talking shop you know what they're gonna do about this and he has an ice cream cone i want to say a strawberry ice cream cone but don't again don't quote me on that i think i might just be coloring that in and like how childish can we get yeah strawberry ice cream yeah but but still like yeah the cigarette vice versus the like I'm going to have an ice cream. I'm sugar vice, which yeah, I feel is very is childish. so childish. And like his big deal about like, well, I was 24. Just, you know, yeah. a little bit of a... For a whole year. Yeah. Um, like just, yeah. He's just a child and I love him. And you mentioned something that when we were talking about this before we started recording is that how, you know, these these characters are overwhelmingly teenagers, right? They're adolescents. So they're they're simultaneously both adults and children and how they're again simultaneously underestimated and still asked way too much of yeah um i think about how much is asked of of sydney right our our main our main character and our final yeah i think the part that i was talking about mainly was how they put so much on sydney for being the one who put cotton wary on death row right when it's like she was a traumatized like what 14 15 year old girl who saw a coat yeah it was not her fault that he was put on death row. Yeah. Like, 
that is not a that should not have been enough of a reason to (laughs) sentence this man to death so like yeah gail weathers this adult woman coming at sydney being like how do you feel getting an innocent man sent to death is like gail you were an adult woman picking on a teenager i'm glad she punched you in the face yeah yeah she did deserve that punch and i feel like that punch that Sydney delivers to Gail really solidifies their future relationship throughout uh-huh. the course of this series. Like, Gail and Sydney get it, you know? They really do. They're friends. They, and, yeah. yeah. And how they... Um, trauma bonding again. Yeah, yeah, and how they tend to, um, at least twice that we can think of, share kind of the final kill. They, like, yeah. both at the same time shoot our bad guy. Yeah. They shoot Billy at the same time. Yes. Before Sydney gets the final headshot. Right. Because like, she needs to, because it's her boyfriend. Yeah. Ex-boyfriend. And not my horror movie, she says. Yes. N- not my movie. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. <laughs> um, and then also, you know, we're thinking about, like, let's just let's just talk about the killers, okay? Mm-hmm. So we've got Stu and Billy. Yeah. Um, played by uh, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich. I'm going to say Ulrich. Ulrich. Oh, before you were saying Ulrich, and I was saying Ulrich. <laughs> I think it's... I don't know. That guy. The guy who plays Billy. You know, Skeet. Which is a terrible name. You don't like Skeet? No. It's very 90s. (laughs) So Skeet Ulrich, Ulrich, who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, They're they're co-killers. And it is my understanding that this is um, unusual in the genre. Co-killers. I believe that. I mean, it becomes a classic of these movies. Right, of course. I think there's only one of the movies where there's only one killer in the end. Mm. Normally it's two. Yes, and it's the worst one, the third one. Which we won't even discuss. Yeah. Well, one day we'll discuss it. (laughs) Um, So for now, it does not exist. You know, I think about, I also think about Stu specifically, but also Mm -hmm. Billy, where um, I think about how much they would have had to accomplish. I think about, again, the, oh, we forgot about one adult, which is Sydney's dad. Oh, right. Who was there in the beginning and then in the end, but like the specter of him is there like, yeah, and he like he makes an excuse as to why he's not there rather than just never being yeah, there. Yeah, like why are Stu's parents not there? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. They're not there. Billy and Sydney are gonna have sex in their bed though. Yeah. We don't know why Stu's parents are gone. We meet Tatum's mom for oh, like briefly. a millisecond. Mostly what we know about her is that she always tells Tatum that when Dewey's in the uniform, she oh, treats yeah. him with respect as an officer of the oh, law. Yes. <laughs> Another thing about Dewey being a child. A child. That's actually the other reason why I really like Dewey is his relationship with Tatum. Going back to yeah. Tatum being your favorite. Dewey and Tatum have a really sweet. Yeah, they're and brother I, and sister. And yeah. I feel like the later movies don't do enough with that of the yeah. fact that he lost his little sister who he was obviously very close to. Yeah. Like, just, yeah, they never do enough with that. No. And who was Sydney's best friend. Right. So we have mm-hmm. that connection as to why Dewey and Sydney continue to have right. a relationship. But it's like they never mentioned Tatum again. No. And in the sequels, we should probably stop talking about the sequels. Right. But like, we'll do whole episodes. Well, yeah, we'll talk about them in, in their time, in mm-hmm. due time. But like, think about the sequels of making mentions of Randy, making yeah. mentions of Billy. Yeah. And I was just like, but what about no, Tatum? Tatum? So. I mean, really yeah. But anyway, what I was saying about Stu, right, mm-hmm. is that what Bill and Stu, Billy and Stu have to achieve is they have to kidnap Sid, Sydney's dad. A grown-ass man. A grown-ass man. They need to subdue him, get rid of his car, get, like, rid of any evidence that suggests that uh, any foul play, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to subdue him but still keep him alive for several days, Yeah. right? Um. This, like, suggests to me a very, like, 
adult mindset. Yeah. And actually what I find really interesting about it is that it's confirmed in our final scene after the killers have been revealed. Yes. That it was specifically Stu's idea to do a like fake murder suicide. Yes. With the dad. Yes. To frame it all on him. It's just like Stu being the one to come up with that is really interesting to me because he shows no sign of that sort of we're going to talk about intelligence. I th- yeah, I think we're going to talk about how Stu very frequently fucks up in this Stu movie. Stu is, yeah. But, but he has this duality. They to him. have that executive function, right? Because right? they also work together to frame Cotton Weary with the coat. Yeah, even before the movie they starts. They talk about right? that. Yeah. How they framed him. So they have like this crazy amount of executive function to like commit crimes and not, not get caught. Yeah. Law enforcement has no idea what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they even had Billy in, you know, that's true, at, in, yeah, custody. In, in custody and yeah. we're like, nah, we got nothing on him. Yeah. They cleared the cellular telephone records yeah. and just let him go. Um, but at the end when he's been stabbed and I want to talk about that stabbing. Oh yeah. Scene we're going to talk about the stabbing the so time much. Comes. Um, he's been stabbed. He, uh, this is and Stu. Sydney, Stu's been stabbed and, and Sydney's calling them on the phone. She's playing, she's playing their yeah. own game. Yeah. Right? She's using their tricks. And, uh, he asks if she really called the cops and she's like yeah i called the cops and he just becomes a, an infant a he toddler a child. he's like my mom and dad are gonna be so mad at me not about <laughs> that I'm, was a really good impression <laughs> not about like i'm going to jail yeah. my life is ruined mom and dad are, are gonna be mad and uh i think that that even that scene just really beautifully sums up how all of these characters are in that liminal space between childhood and adulthood. Real quick, I just want to mention actually two more adults that we have in this movie who I think are kind of weirdly important because okay. they're right in the beginning, which is Casey Becker's parents. Oh, yeah. I love, I mean, I love slash, I think the most traumatic part of this movie mm-hmm. is Casey's mother hearing Casey die on mm-hmm. the phone. And then subsequently seeing her daughter. Hanged from a tree. Right. With, like, like, steam coming off of her because her insides are warm and yeah. it's a cold day. It's a cold I just evening. think that's a good establishment of the fact that these kids are on their own. Yeah. And that their parents are not going to be there to save them. Yeah. Even when they do get there technically in time, they're still not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, they're, they're still, still too late. So it's, yeah, it really all just comes back to the kids are on their own and they're not all right. They've the been forced right. to take care of themselves and they can't do it. Because they're children. Um, yeah, so we've got a theme of youth, which is a, a very common theme in horror movies generally, specific, a, specifically a slasher film, right? Yeah. Um, that there's a, you know, the whole point is that it's young people who yeah. are being tormented and punished. Which and are- if you've listened to our Cabin in the Woods episode, they, Sigourney yeah. Weaver's character makes a point about how the sacrifice always has to be youth right but we like to watch children die teenagers specifically the whole point is youth we like to watch teenagers die i think it has to do with a lot of things i think it has to do with a general it's called decline bias which is where we get the oh kids these days you know back in my day we never had to do that and like kids these they're addicted to their phones and right um that's that's an example of decline bias right so if we want to see that in this movie the best place to look is to the principal who has a bunch of lines that are like, oh, I'm just disgusted by your entire thieving, coring generation. And like which talking it, about how desensitized these as, kids are these w- days. Which as an educator, um, you think that, but you do not say that out loud to your students. I hate him in general also because one of the first things we see him do is hold Sydney by like the chin. Yeah, he kind like of strokes her cheek like, and call her a sweetie or something. Th- th- no. It's a no-go. <laughs> And so we're, we're just kind of hopping all around, but I consider, I do consider the principal 
to be an allusion to Freddy Krueger. Um, because they have that scene with him with the big scissors, remember? Where, like, he catches the students who were terrorizing people with the Yeah, and he cuts it all up. Cuts it up with the big scissors, and he gives a couple of, like, practice snips. Yeah. Because you got to when you... And the time when we have the most explicit Freddy Krueger reference is when he looks outside the door to see if anybody's around, and he sees the janitor dressed like Freddy... Yeah. Janitor Fred dressed like Freddy Freddy Krueger. Oh, that's such a good point. I never thought about him. And and then also with the the inappropriate touching of students, because I read Freddy Krueger as a child molester. I know that there are... That's a popular read, and there are other reads as well, but Freddy Krueger, to me, is is a child molester. And either way, he's definitely a malevolent force towards children and teens. In the same way, honestly... this principal is, even though he ends up getting killed by teens. But like, I don't know. I support it. Yeah, <laughs> down with Principal Henry. <laughs> um, we see the the theme of youth, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the the decline bias of oh, kids these days, you know. But we also see you know a much even longer lasting practice of of sacrificing youth because you know it, if we want to make a sacrifice for the greater good it needs to be a sacrifice right mm. it needs to be something that we feel the loss of right and i think youth is that and this idea of like untapped potentials like this kid could mm-hmm. be whatever they wanted to be they had their whole life ahead of them yeah um that that is also one way in which we look at at the idea of youth particularly in a horror film yeah why they always show up in our horror films yeah so because um, it's more traumatic. I more found horrifying. a couple instances. Um, you know, music music major. Love it. Yeah, I have a bachelor's degree in music theory and history. Don't worry about <laughs> it. No brag. Um, <laughs> and so I I couldn't help but notice some stuff in the soundtrack that was like really hammering home this idea of youth. Um, first of all, there's literally a song called "Youth of America," mm-hmm. uh, by a band called Bird Brain, which is a I think a great band name. Yeah. I'm unfamiliar with anything else they've ever yeah. done, but that's Maybe a great suck, band name. Maybe they but it's a good name. Yeah. There's a couple other songs. Uh, the the song that plays over the end credits, it's called Whisper to a Scream by an artist called Soho. I don't mm. know them. Not as good of a name. Um, and the, the, the first line of the chorus is literally, we are, we are, we are, we're just children. Yeah. Finding our way around indecision. See, do you like that? Finding our way around indecision in deci- oh, or indecision. Yeah, 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 See what yeah. they did there? Okay, cool. Um, Get it so. Get we it. are, we are, we are all but helpless. Yeah. Take this forever. Whisper to a scream. Yeah. Just yeah. really hammering home. If you weren't paying attention the whole film, the last thought that they are leaving with you with is like, hey, these are all kids. These were just some fucked up kids who like had problems with their parents and like, you know, like even our killers. We're like, Truly. Yeah. Like Billy's whole motive, well, does he need a motive, he says, and then he's like, um, I miss my mom, <laughs> you know? He does miss his mom. Like, he's just a boy. He's just However, a kid. It, and it's true, he does miss his mom, and I think he does place a lot of blame on Sydney for that. Yeah. Um, which is misplaced, but I yeah. see why. Cause he's, yeah, because you're a child and you're angry and you just lash out where you lash out. Yeah, and so he's mad at Sydney because of what her mom did, right? Mm-hmm. But And doesn't even consider his own dad in that? Right. I mean, it seems like he doesn't have a great relationship with his dad because he talks about how he called him from jail and his dad just didn't answer. Oh, yeah. And he, like, seems very, like, yeah, he didn't fucking answer. Like, big surprise, yeah. <laughs> you know, about it, which is interesting. But, like... I don't know. It's interesting that he never targets his own dad. No. He, he, he targets, targets Sydney's women. dad. He targets women and, and Sydney's dad, dad to yeah. sort of punish Sydney. As a, as a way to punish Sydney in, for the, yeah, yeah, in a murder And obviously situation. he targeted Sydney's mom as his first kill. Right. Um, but, you know, I think about that, that, like, 
he's like, I miss my mom. And Sydney actually mentions this, like, your mom moved out of town. She's not buried in a graveyard. Yeah, right? like, my She's mom like, is fucking dead. Yeah, I will never talk to her again. Like, you can go still have a relationship with your mom until, you know, she she kills, Sydney kills Billy. And, the, yeah. you know, that, you know. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a different story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we can get into the sequel at some point too about billy's mom but you know one thing at a time and then of course they have a a 90s rendition of alice cooper's schools out yeah uh which is great this this verse is my favorite it's uh no more pencils no more books no more teachers dirty looks yeah out for summer out for fall we might not come back at all Mm -hmm. i like oh double meaning there with that one Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they died and then a lot of the other songs and the lyrics are are don't make explicit references to youth but do make pretty explicit references to depression which is the most common mental illness for young people Mm -hmm. is depression so it's like yeah young people get depressed yeah no and it goes back to one of my favorite lines in the movie oh yeah which is when the cheerleader and one of the other i don't know hot popular girls at school um are gossiping in the bathroom and sydney overhears it yeah um and they're talking about how it was probably Sydney who, you know, after her mom died, she must have just cracked and killed people in a jealous rage. And she specifically has the line that Sydney must have realized teen suicide is out this year and homicide is more therapeutic. Which just like really gets at all of those themes of like the depression, yes. the youth of it. Yes. And this idea of just like these kids, these kids these days yeah. that, you know, they're just doing these crazy things because it's like what's popular and cool. Right. One of Stu's motives that he gives is peer pressure because he's yes. too sensitive. Uh, far too sensitive. Yes, yeah. You know, that is yeah. this idea that the kids are just doing what they're doing because they're fucking damaged. Yeah. But although all Stu, I think a lot of the stuff Stu does is to succumb to peer pressure. I, yeah. No, yeah. we can talk more about that we'll because Stu and Billy's relationship is fascinating. It is fascinating. I want to talk a little bit about the the main song of, of the soundtrack that mm-hmm. permeates mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. all of the sequels except for mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. four. Do, do, do. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, which is which is Red Right Hand. Yeah. What you're, yeah, yeah, that wasn't humming. It was... Uh, it was... Yeah, I guess that's was S- name. Syllabizing. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which is an Australian band, right? Yeah. And so this song comes off of an album I think they released in like 92. So it's yeah. a 90s song. Yeah, it was right? a 90s song. But it does predate Scream. They didn't write it for Scream. Yeah. Um, and in my personal opinion, it's a really great, it's a great song because it's like a nice like 12 bar blues. I fucking love it. And it's like got a, it's a nice minor key. It's it just so groovy. Give you the sense it of just foreboding. Like, yeah, yeah, I just can't not be like, yeah, 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 ooh, ooh, ooh. Like, it just makes me dance. It makes me groove. I really love it. Um, and in my personal opinion, I think here, let me just read just a couple of, uh, of lines from, I believe this is the first, very first verse of the song. It says, past the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with, with a, a red, red, red hand. hand. okay i'll stop that song's gonna be in my head forever though now because i love it so much um and so to me you know we talked about this this off mic to me uh this is about a drug dealer i understand a different read yeah i mean my read is just sort of generally he is a specter of criminality in general it doesn't necessarily have to just be drugs i feel like red right hand in general 
sort of feels like like a bloody hand that sure. implies a killer yeah, or, or assassin or a mafia member or something you know something of that vibe yeah his hands are dirty yeah his yeah. hands are dirty yeah. though that could also be like blood money he can be in tr- mm-hmm. drug, trade. drug trade um i also think that there's some implication of you know like maybe sex work or mm. illicit sex going on just because of that line where he's like he'll call you a good boy uh-huh. you know he'll take care of you he'll get uh-huh. you money he'll get you a car <laughs> so yeah i think it could all be read in all those ways i also could see the reading of of red right hand is like um someone like a republican oh <laughs> like a like a political leader yeah i mean a dirty political leader yeah. there's yeah. also just sort of this general kind of like devil s- tempting you towards sinness of it right and apparently we were just looking into this the actual title comes from milton's paradise lost and is a re- like a reference to the vengeful hand of god wow. so that's also interesting so that's a lot yeah. yeah. So there's a lot in that. And then so that this song is is the one that that gets its a resurgence every yeah, scream installment except for number 4. Which is the one where I really love where somebody is about to get like murdered in a car and it's just playing on the radio. Oh, that's in is Scream that 3, 2, four, 5, 4. <laughs> just say numbers. Um <laughs> I named them all. <laughs> uh, that's in so I call it Scream 5. However, oh, okay. it is it is called Scream. Right, right, right. right. Um, from 2022, but I call it Scream Five. Right, and I, it is I probably will continue to call it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they they skip it guess. number four, but then they bring it back full force for, for yeah. the fifth and one, and it's really good. good. And I think there is a sixth one in production right oh. now. So if so, they if I do not hear that song, I will riot. I'm gonna be upset. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think this is a great, uh, you know, this beautiful '90s soundtrack by beautiful '90s artists. I think we should just revel in the '90s that is this film. The 90s. Can I just, can I start yes. by a, a couple things that made me think, oh, the 90s. Yes, please. Lay them so, on me. Yes. The uh, the landline is a method for communication. A landline with no caller ID. We see this oh, yeah. with Casey Becker at the beginning of the film. She doesn't have caller IDs, but she keeps picking up the phone. My problems with Casey Becker are just like, not to like blame the victim, but girl, your door should have been locked. You're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Uh, you're stop. by yourself. Stop picking up the phone. And Just stop picking up the phone. Your parents cannot help you. Uh. Um, so the landline is a method for communication. Um, it's it's a really interesting little time time in history because it's pre nine eleven, right? Mm-hmm. But and pre Columbine for that matter. But we still have again. Not to borrow the phrase you just used, a looming specter um. of the new millennium of Y two K. Yeah, which is I think Randy mentions in the. Um, in the video store scene says something like it's the new millennium. Like it's his excuse for something. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember that part, but Make yeah. Make some references. The new millennium. I think there's also the sense of like new technology coming in with the cellular phones being cellular such telephones. like being a part of how they commit this crime is they're using this very brand new technology and like, Oh, the kids these days with their new technology getting into danger with a, a causing voice, trouble, a voice modulator, yeah. something that changes your voice. And, and they do, especially the older people, the adults, um, keep calling cell phones cellular telephones. Yeah. I believe Gail calls it the cellular. So yeah. she doesn't go the whole way with it. Because she's kind of an in-between kid yeah, and adult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she uses a cellular for yeah. work, yeah. Yeah. Um, th- at the very beginning with Casey Becker, you know, we know that she's 
what she tells Ghostface, who is the name of the killer, right? Yeah. You know, um, she tells Ghostface that she's about to watch a movie, and we can see her. First of all, gigantic television, good right? Because it's the her. '90s, the TV is huge <laughs> and like a box, and yep. probably weighs a hundred pounds, which I don't is know. good because she might need to kill somebody with one later. Foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> um, that it's you can see it's the blue screen, and in the corner it says Channel Three because back in the day, <laughs> you youngins out there, <laughs> you had to have your TV set to Channel Three if you wanted to watch a vhs <laughs> um some other stuff that that is like oh my gosh it's so 90s first of all the when we meet gail in her all lime green suit i love the suit she wears she continues to have the, impeccable fashion the fashion her shoes are always killer you can definitely tell it's the 90s by by the fashion right yeah. we get tatum in a lot of uh, a lot of uh, midriff cro- midriff showing crop tops that kind of thing um, we see the like allusion to the '60s in Tatum's clothes, yeah. right? As, ta- as, as that retro, yeah, retro '60s stuff. resurgence in the '90s. Um, and then also something I, I wrote this down in my notes is quintessential '90s: the poor boundaries and communication around sex. Yes. Yeah. Um, because you know it's a it's a thing over the course of the film where Billy and Sydney are are dating and they haven't mm-hmm. had sex. And um, he's uh, Billy is doing a horrible job of communicating his desire for like that sexual closeness in their relationship um, without just kind of forcing himself on her. Yeah. No, I mean, like, not like if you needed a reason to suspect Billy of being up to something very early on or like to not like him. Like one of the first scenes we have with him is her being like. I have my, or no, it's him saying, I will obey your nothing under the clothes rule. And then immediately trying to get under her clothes. Yeah. Like immediately. Yeah. After saying he won't. And then, and he's wondering why his girlfriend won't have sex with them. Yeah. And it's like, well, you aren't, you're making this very uncomfortable for her. And should we talk about, you know. He calls her a tease. He does call her a tease, which. um, After she flashes him. Which, yeah, whatever. I don't really care about that. Um. (laughs) This is true. He does. I just. I like. I like the moment where she flashes him actually, because I feel like it's the one moment where Sydney's like, "This is my sexuality. This is what I feel like I can do with my own body. Yes, I will give you this much. Be happy with what I am giving you." And I love Tatum for being the one person in this movie who's like. Yeah, you do not have to have sex with him. Yeah. It is your fucking body. Yeah. Do what you want. Yeah, even though I, it's my understanding. They never explicitly state it, but it's my understanding that Tatum and Stu are having sex. I think they might even, I mean, they definitely imply it because the idea is that both of the boyfriends go to their girlfriend's house after they kill Casey and Steve. Right. That's right. And yes. like, it's implied that is that Stu was busy with Tatum during the murder. Right. But, or is he just saying that as a g- guy? Well, because like, Tatum face. is there at the time. I think because it's I think it's when they're all talking together. That's true. The five of them. Yeah. And then so where's Tatum coming from? Is she like sexually liberated enough to be like, yeah, I had sex last night. What of it? You know, or is she like, I understand that this is something that gives me and my boyfriend social capital. Yeah. So even if that's not what happened, like I understand yeah. perpetuating that belief benefits me. Yeah. Um, Interesting point. I also well, let's also talk about when Sydney and Billy actually have sex. Yeah. Um, it's an awful sex scene. I just feel like Sydney looks so uncomfortable the whole time. She does not want to be doing this. Yes. And that is like. And like, if yeah. uh, no offense to Billy, except for all offense to Billy. Okay. If my girl had that look on her face while she's taking off her bra, I'd yeah. be like, honey, do you need to talk more? Yeah. Do we, Should we discuss let's this? Let's do down. some processing. Yeah. Let's process this. I'm not going to compare you to anybody from Silence of the Lambs. Let's just talk about your mom. <laughs> Who's she being? 
He compares her to um, Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, when he he, ha- he has this thing when he's talking about how it. Be- it's a I movie. have Silence of the Lambs written down as yeah. one of the movies referenced, but I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's under when what he's trying to talk to her. When he's trying to, his best attempt at talking to her as yeah. like I understand what you're going through mm. is his whole thing about how like life is all one big movie. You just can't pick your genre, mm-hmm. and it starts with him talking about Silence of the Lamb and Jodie Foster. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's where the Silence of the Lambs comes in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's also you know. You know I picked up on it because uh, lesbian. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster is a lesbian. Yes, yeah. good for Jodie Foster. Um, and also Clarice Starling as a character is mm-hmm. a little um, without sex. Yeah. Kind of asexual, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, obvi- and this is, you know, at its core, a movie about movies, right? It's incredibly meta, incredibly referential, yeah. right? Um, and I think that using the movies as the, like, the basis of Billy and Stu's psychosis, right? Yeah. Their shared psychosis that makes them the psycho killers that are quintessential to a, a slasher, slasher film, film, right? Yeah. Um, of using, again, new media. You know, we're scared about kids in video games, kids mm-hmm. in horror movies. Yeah. Um, you know, new tech like cellular telephones, yeah. right? Billy repeatedly seems to only be able to relate to his life through... Through a movie. Specifically, like, horror and slasher films. Yeah. And, like, Hitchcock and shit. Absolutely. Let's see. Do I have anything else to say about the 90s? Oh, I want to say one thing about the 90s. Yes. My little thing is just about the um, the presence of, like, the news reporters all throughout this movie. Sure. The idea of Scream in general about this being this, like, big spectacle. It's always a big spectacle. It's always stories about it. But I love the little tidbits wh- that we get from the reporters about, like, it's drugs. It's yes. the old cult. It's all very, like, satanic panic shit. Yes. Yeah, it's a satanic cult. Yeah, these kids yeah. are falling into Satanism. Yep. And this isn't really a 90s thing, but I also love that the news reporters, every time they talk about the first death, they're like, the m- tragic murder of teenage girl Casey Becker, and also her boyfriend Steve Orth. Right. <laughs> it's always like he's an afterthought. Because a, a dead white girl gets news yeah. coverage. Yeah, yeah, it's like the one yeah. time when we will not talk about a girl in relation to a guy. This Instead, is, yeah. it's like the guy in relation to the girl, because... Yeah. We want a dead white girl. Yeah. We care about that. We care about that, yeah. It's like, it's still to this day how we treat, like, crime media and the sensationalization of it. Right. We we still love a dead white girl. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually, I think, I have, I, I mean, I would consider myself someone who's interested in true crime. Yeah. But I would say in the last year or two, I've taken a really major step back. Like, it just, it just more often than not makes me feel icky. Yeah. yeah I feel like I'm, I'm kind of being voyeuristic and looking yeah. into someone's personal life and yeah uh, learning things about them that they did like not consent to share with me you know mm-hmm. anything else about the 90s oh um tatum's very prominent nipples i knew you were gonna bring them up so you bring them up every time we talk 90s, about this movie it's literally <laughs> and so it's so embedded in my brain that i what i recall from this movie is every time tatum is on screen you can see her nipples this is actually not true it's false it's false it's, it's like only one scene one scene right but like that's how you know how much they are (laughs) that's how much it just like reverberates in my brain is that i've created a reality in which every scene she's in i can you can see her nipples but this is not true i just think about that being go like even just a rose mcgowan thing or like that type of archetype character that she tends to play yeah like i'm not even sure if it's true that you can see her nipples a lot in charmed but i feel like that's a thing in the tv show charmed where there's just like nipples a lot and also though like in 90s tv in general yes like i think of buffy the vampire slayer yeah Lots of nipples there too. Yeah, it's a, it was a '90s. It thing. was just an. Yeah. I was, yeah, it's like, why are all of these women so cult? 
give them a jacket. Give them a jacket or like get them some, get them a bra with a little bit of padding. It's like also, I think it's still a thing, but especially in the 90s where it seems like the men and the women are like just in different seasons or something. They're like in different temperatures. Oh, yeah. The girls are always so skimpy and the guys are like jeans, jeans and long sleeve shirts. You know, and she's, yeah. and she's like there with her tank top, like, yeah, no wonder she's cold. So, do we, let's talk about how this is a movie about movies. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. So, I do want to start off by talking about how. I think probably lots of people did this mm-hmm. our first time watching it. I very smartly and smugly was like, well, I'm not worried about Drew Barrymore. She's on the fucking cover. Right. She's like the main person on the cover. She'll yes. be fine. Yeah. Just like assuming she was our final girl, knowing nothing about Scream. Of course. Yeah. Which was like the point. Yeah. It was a big deal that this was like a Drew Barrymore movie. Yeah. They they really got, you know, Wes Craven really got a lot of audience in with knowing yeah. that oh drew barrymore's in it right yeah. she's like she's in the trailer yeah. right she's on the cover of a couple of the of posters yeah. right and um, her opening yeah. scene is just great it is fantastic yeah and it yeah it lingers we linger with her for so long but then she fucking dies and like just that idea of like right away knowing what you think you know about movies we also know that about movies right so we're gonna start playing with your playing expectations with that expectation they yeah. set it up right at the beginning so do let's talk i think it would be good to talk a little bit about randy i feel mm-hmm. like randy's uh, would you call him our narrator i mean what would you call him yeah that's i think that's fair especially actually even when you get into the later films right yeah i feel like oh yeah but yeah randy played by jamie kennedy right Randy, he is like he's the film scholar, right? Mm-hmm. He he knows a lot of things. Like we hear a, a lot about Stu and Billy making mo- references to to horror movies, right? But like Randy's right there with them. He can mm-hmm. keep up, if not outpace them a little right. bit. He right? works at the movie rental place, right? And he's kind of a dork, and like he's not sexless. Um, he's he very much wants to be having sex, but like he's not because he's a dork. Yeah, right, kind yeah. Of that. we know for sure he's a virgin. He says so himself. Yeah, yeah, well, and that's how he literally gets shot in the chest. <laughs> but according to the rules of the movie, he's fine. he won't die because he's a virgin. Do you think that this implies that Dewey is a virgin? I just thought about this because he gets stabbed a bunch. <laughs> oh, well, in the first film, maybe. Yeah, but then after him and Gail really start, I know, to I cultivate hope. a relationship. I hope that that stops. I mean, unless they're not into that. Yeah, I don't want it. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to force anyone to do anything they don't want to. <laughs> We're not Billy. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we've got Randy is a little bit of our narrator, right? He's he's kind of telling us what's going on. And actually, he straight up tells us what's going on. And about halfway through the film. Yeah, he figures it out. He figures it out. He says, Billy's obviously the killer. The dad's a red herring. He really spells it out. Yeah. However, he well, he doesn't completely figure it out because he doesn't realize that there are two killers. Yeah. And that he is talking to one of them. I think that is part of Randy's um, limitations as our narrator is that he is working with the horror movies that exist. Yes. He's not aware of the fact that Scream is playing with these strips. Yes. That and changing them slightly. And uh, what I'll talk about when when I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the history of the slasher films, that he is looking at modern slasher films where Scream is a quintessential postmodern yeah. slasher film. So he's he's not playing with all the rules. Right. right yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of also why later um, he has his whole big rule about like no sex or you're dead. Yes. At the exact moment that Sydney is upstairs losing her virginity to Billy. Who at this point <laughs> has fended off Ghostface at least twice. Yeah. Maybe more. 
Yeah. Because she does it. She, she I think it's been at her, her house home. and it's been in the bathroom. In so the far. school bathroom. And that's right. it so far. Yeah. So she's been attacked by Ghostface twice, who we believe is it's Stu both times. So when yeah. she's attacked by Ghostface, right? But like, she's, all four times, I think that she is attacked by Ghostface, it is Stu. Stu and, and he just lunges at her and it does not work for him anytime. He's, he's bad really at bad it. Because he's a follower. He's not. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's not. We'll get into Stu. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet, precious Stu. Sweet, precious Stu. Um, She's losing her virginity, right? The, the like, the shield that's protecting her from um, yeah. from these attacks by Ghostface is is being yeah. taken down, right? Yeah. Yeah. And later, Billy and Stu specifically talk about it as, like, a game they were playing with her. Yes. Of, like, can we get her to lose her virginity and thus make her, I guess, killable? Capable of dying, right? Because yeah. they're, they're following the rules, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They also don't realize that this is different than normal slasher movies. Yes. Yeah. And so... That moment when Randy is talking about it while we see Sydney having sex, it's like this moment of building suspense. Because we also don't know what's different. Than, like, we have the clues that this isn't a normal horror movie, mm-hmm. but, like, we still have the suspense about it. And the other thing I love about that scene is that we see it again on the delay in the yes. cameraman's van where he is watching it. I want to say with a bucket, bucket of popcorn or am I making no, that up? No, he's got a bag of Cheetos. Bag of Cheetos. And, okay. a, and a soda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He very much is like watching a movie yes. about these kids talking about movies while we are watching him watch the movie about the kids watching the movies that's, while they're talking about movies. It's like they and go. That's, that's meta. That's meta. Yeah. That's meta. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to talk about all the movies that are referenced in this film? List them off. It's actually less than I thought it would be. It's only 16. It's, I bet it's less than Cabin in the Woods. Though those, those are more, like, not as explicit in Cabin in the Woods. Right, yeah. So, we've got Nightmare on Elm Street. There's actually quite a few references to Nightmare on Elm Street. And I think this is mainly because that's also a Wes Craven joint. Yeah. Right? Uh, we've got, they even, like, poke fun at it. Yeah, we've got Friday the 13th, Halloween, Exorcist, Basic Instinct, which I which is, I think, the only movie on this list I haven't seen that you have. Yeah. Which is really interesting, because I'm the... I, would, do you consider Basic Instinct a horror film? I mean, it's more of a thriller. Yeah, I wrote down thriller. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Candyman, Frankenstein, The Howling, Prom Night, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Hellraiser, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, Carrie, and When a Stranger Calls. You're actually missing one. Oh! Uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Oh, that's right. I Spit on Your Grave. You're right. I Spit on Your Garage. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorites. Though, once again, a film I have not seen. No, not. No, we were doing the math. I've seen six out of these 17 movies and i've seen 11 out of these 17 yeah. movies uh so so they're making references to every single one of these films and you're right there is i spit on your grave so 17 still seems let low yeah because it's a movie so about movies constant yes it never stops yes well but we do get we get several references to a nightmare on elm street we mm-hmm. get several references to psycho right um yeah there are yeah. some that pop up more than once yeah and i think just like in the makeup of the film it's all referencing all of it, you know? Like, we get actual, right. also, scenes of... Which one is it? Halloween? Oh, yes. Uh, Halloween is playing at the yeah, party yeah. scene. Right, yeah. yeah like, just the idea it. that this oh. is about other movies is so prevalent throughout and, the movie. You know, I guess, let's just... Let me do my due diligence here. Um, mm-hmm. They do... Randy references other movies in the party scene, right? Like, he oh, references yeah. other films... Um, Usually ones that have Jamie Lee Curtis in them, right? right? He does go on a Jamie Lee Curtis thing. Yeah. Um, about but her being it, the Scream Queen. I feel like he just kind of names them. Yeah, they're not know? really the same as, like, I spit on your garage. Oh, yeah. Which a, is, like... A reference, yeah. Yeah. Um, he even actually... I love one thing that he specifically says, mm-hmm. is that 
the problem with why the cops can't figure this out is because they don't watch enough horror movies. Like, they can't figure it out. Oh, that's they right. It, they like, should watch Prom Night Revisited and, and they would you know. know yes. that how, yeah, obviously. And, like, he's... A, Save him some time. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. So, uh, I want to talk about, you know, this being, you know, a slasher movie about slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Um. But first, do you want to go into... um the, the twist of this film is that there's two killers. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a whodunit, and it's actually two people done it. Right? That's why it's so hard to figure it out, because yeah. it's like, well, I just saw Billy. He was at jail at the time. Yeah. Or whatever. Be a, so do we want to talk about... at the party. Do we want to talk about who does what? Okay, so, yeah. So let's just go kill by kill. So okay. it starts with Casey and Steve, right? So okay. obviously, the need all hands on deck. Right, yeah. Right? That's step, well, actually, technically, technically, it starts with Sydney's mom. Okay, yeah, good point. And they kill. They say that they killed her together. We yes. don't know who got the final kill on that one. Right, yeah. They say they kill her together and that they framed My money's on Cotton. Billy. My, yeah. Yeah. Though I find it interesting. Well, we'll get into that. Okay. Okay, so next, Casey Beck and Steve Orth. So, uh, obviously, we need all hands on deck. And you said that this was this, confirmed on Twitter. Yeah, I, Kevin Williamson, a, the a writer. A bastion of credible sources. But Kevin Williamson, the writer. Okay, all right, fine. Confirmed that Stu killed Steve Orth. Okay. Specifically. Okay. With that. That slash, he kind of slashes yeah, him Yeah, kind of slut, uh, like yeah, slices slashes him, him in his guts fall out, yeah. To me, that implies that Billy is the one who's mostly on the telephone. Yeah. Talking to her. Yeah. Especially because I feel like that's more Billy's style to sort yeah. of like kind of flirt and draw yeah. it out and like amp up the terror. And play a little cat and mouse. Whereas Steve's, yeah. whereas Stu is more like, let's do the violence yeah. now. <laughs> he just sort of jumps head in first, you know? That's our Stu. I kill Steve now? I kill Steve? Okay. Yeah. And I also think that it's Billy who kills, directly kills Casey. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I don't know what you're basing that on. I'm just basing on the fact that I... I imagine that Stu was busy with Steve. Yeah. And, uh, and like, I think that Casey was more focused on running away from where she last saw Steve face. get killed. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, Stu, yeah, yeah. That she would run in the other direction where Billy would be which, waiting. Which is where Billy I would be. I also yeah. think there's the suggestion. We know for a fact that later Billy tries to kill Sydney by strangling her. Yes. He also strangles Casey. She does strangle Casey. Whoever yeah. that ghost face is. So I yeah. think that's Billy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think, it, I think it's Billy who kills the principal. I'm pretty positive because I feel like Stu is kind of we have a scene right there of Stu talking to Sydney and Tatum about like, hey, come over to my house. My parents are gone. Let's have a party. Yeah. Right. You know, and like I also actually on the subject of the principal. Yeah. A, he's an interesting kill because he's the one who doesn't seem really like sexually driven. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like they're all either like girlfriends or ex-girlfriends. Right. Or like sydney's mom or who, or fellow adolescents he's like yeah. kind of the only adult we see get yeah. killed yeah yeah who's like kind of our outlier but as yeah. we talked about he's sort of this symbol of the kids these days yes. rhetoric yeah. so i think that's why he gets killed yeah. the other interesting thing about him i think is that he gets hanged from the football what you call it this is what they they say we don't get to right. see it we don't they know say it yeah that he got hanged from whatever you call those foot- uh, yeah, football things yeah the goal post, post. yep don't, which, don't correct us. I don't care what the real answer is. That was Billy, which we think it was. Yeah. And if Kate, Casey was also killed by Billy, who then she gets hung from a tree. Yeah, he likes hanging people from if trees. Billy also killed Tatum. That was sort of <gasps> lucky happenstance that she ends up hanging from the garage. Cause it just no, ended but he, up, like, makes that happen. Yeah, he, like, just, but he didn't know oh, she was going to run into there. She, like, you know, she... But still, Ooh. he seems to like to display his kills. That's an in MO a way right there. That like Stu, I don't think does. Yeah, I think Stu. I just, think that's Billy's thing. I think Stu. I I feel like Stu is not. 
reveling in the process. No, the he way seems that to Billy go straight is. every time. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that the four times a ghost face goes after Sydney. Yes, it's Stu. Every I'm pretty time. sure. So until the end, when it's revealed that it's both Billy. Okay, and hold Stu. on. We're, we're we're jumping ahead. Hold on. Yeah. So uh, then then the next kill is Tatum, right? Which is Billy because Stu needs to establish a. Yeah, his uh, he's what? at the party. He's at the party. He's, he's got the host of the party. Yeah, he's he's establishing an alibi. Billy right? hasn't showed up yet because he just killed the principal. He's a little busy, and now he's going to kill Tatum. Yeah. He's busy. And then this is really interesting. There's only one, two, three, four, five kills in this film. Oh yeah. For a slasher film, that's a relatively yeah. low body count. In my I mean, there's a lot of people who get opinion. injured. Right. Yeah. Gail gets driven off the road. Though that's, that's true. Yeah. Not any of the killers' faults, right? Isn't that when Sydney runs out into the road and she swerves? Maybe, yeah, I think, I think so. so. Dewey gets stabbed. Dewey a bunch gets stabbed by Stu. Randy gets shot, but he's a virgin, so he can't die. Yeah. And that's yeah. Um, that's and then there's Kenny, the cameraman. He um, does die. He does die, and that's Stu. That has to be Stu because to be Billy Stu. is still in the house pretending to be dead. The pretending to be dead, and also remember as Sydney's in the house and Randy's like running up, like oh my gosh, it's it's Stu, you know. Yeah. And then Stu comes running past where the news van was right where yeah. kenny was right and like no it's him and then and then can i just say how much i love sydney's correct correct. correctness yeah i was saying fuck you both and yeah just and i was like that's yeah, yeah don't trust that's anybody correct. that's correct don't trust anybody yeah close that fucking door um so and then billy is the one who shoots randy like we physically see th- them yeah. you know him shoot randy but then of course he doesn't die and then after that right we've got a lot of injuries we get sydney being attacked you know yeah but really the only two other deaths after that are Billy and Stu, who are both killed by Sydney. Yeah, and yes, Gail has With an a assist helping from hand, Gail, but, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give Sydney really the W on that one. Sydney gets the yeah. yeah. Sydney Sydney gets the final kill. Yeah. Um, um. So let's talk about all four times that Sydney is is yeah. attacked. So she's attacked in her home while when her dad's gone. I, my that's the first time. Yeah. And then she gets attacked. In Which the my thought bathroom. it has to be Stu because she sees Billy so soon after it. Yeah. Because, like, Stu is literally outside her bedroom door, and then she sees Billy coming in through the, the window. window. I just yeah. don't think. Establishing the alibi. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, th- that's the same reason why I'm pretty sure it's Stu in the bathroom, because she just, just talked finished to Billy, talking to Billy. And then, that's, like, he yeah. went one way, she went the other, so it's yeah, that's, Stu. Yeah, yeah it was, and he would have had to have been sitting in that bathroom for a while, because... Yeah, I kind of wonder like about lying that. And I was like, how there? long was Stu in there? Just hanging out in the girl's bathroom. Hanging out in the girl's bathroom in his ghost face costume. Yeah. I mean, we see him briefly before that yeah. at Tatum's locker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, just checking himself out in Tatum's mirror, which is just nice for him. Yeah. <laughs> I um, just like that. What a, what a kid. And then uh, and what then, else? Then when else does she get attacked? And then. After they have sex. Right. Billy gets quote unquote stabbed. Yeah. And he makes a big show of dying. Yeah. And he really enjoys himself. He's such a ham. I think he loves acting. Yeah. He loves lying. He loves acting. Yeah. He's really good at it. Better yeah. than Stu is. Yeah, Stu's a mess. Not a not a hard bar to pass. Yeah, but yeah. But Stu, yeah. So then Stu chases her out of the house, and that's when she he. This is the one time where I think Stu, where I'm pretty sure, like almost positive, it's Stu, but he has more of that mo that I more associate with Billy of that sort of cat and mouse thing, where she's like in the police car, yeah, and he's like crawling he's in through the back the car, yeah, and like doing yeah. all that stuff. But yeah. like, I feel like part of the joy and the the sweet, the just what makes Billy and Stu so delectable is that like they kind of morph into each other yeah. like they're hard to tell apart they're yeah. both ghost faced they're the they are one killer even though they're two separate people they're one right. killer you know so it's like Beautiful. so they can they can take each other's mo sometimes like as a treat sure they can have that sure as a treat yeah. <laughs> um and then one more time at the end when they've revealed who they are i forget what billy is up to but for some reason Stu has to chase her around 
and that's when he ends up getting flattened by the TV. Yeah. But, but that's the last time that Stu attacks her. Right, yeah, and then yeah. she gets the one up on him and kills him. With the TV. Thank with God. an assist from, not Gail Weathers, but... Uh, Randy? No, who's it on the TV? Oh, Laurie Strode. Yeah, Laurie Strode. Because uh, it's that shot where they're, like, in the same perspective. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, we got to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but let me, can I just, like, I, for for this, I learned a little bit about, like, the history um, and the, like, historical perspective of the slasher film. Yes, enlighten me. I want to yeah, learn yeah. about this. So let's just, let's just make sure we're all on the same page about what a slasher film is, right? So yeah. sometimes it's referred to as a body count film or a dead teenager movie. That either one, you know, but yeah. I, I prefer slasher. Um, it's a subgenre of horror, horror typically involving a psychopathic killer, mm-hmm. right? So we've got um, Stu and Billy fitting fitting that mold, right? Often wearing a mask, mm-hmm. right? We think about Michael Myers in Halloween. We think about uh, Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, right? Masks. Mm-hmm. Um, who stalk and graphically murder a series of adolescent victims in a typically random, unprovoked fashion, killing many within a single day. Right. Mm-hmm. So while there is a buildup, right? So Stu and Stu and Billy do kill Sydney's mom. Yeah, and then, and there's then like a, a year, year later, pulling off period. Yeah, of killing uh, Casey and Steve, Steve. Right, and then uh, then things start to ramp up. The day of the party is where like our biggest body count occurs. Right. Yeah. Um. So this this idea fits a, a ton of different horror movies. Right. So um and sometimes you one could make the argument that psycho is the first slasher film um i wouldn't make that argument the body counts low the body counts too low um in that i think it's only one yeah oh i'm gonna get in trouble if i'm wrong oh um, no all the hitchcock fans no no <laughs> um the body counts too low um however i, I do consider it like the ancestor to yeah. the slasher the common ancestor of of horror movies right into mm-hmm what would become the slasher subgenre. Yeah. Um, we, cause we've got a psycho killer, right. Um, who is, um, he is sort of wearing a mask in the sense of, of dressing up as his mom. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I was like, can I, I just say the spoiler about this very, very old movie? <laughs> I almost didn't say it. I was like, spoilers. <laughs> no, everybody knows. Um, and, and this is something about the killer in a slasher film is that the killer is usually male and often, uh, considered sexually disturbed so mm-hmm. so norman bates does just really hit that nail on the head yeah right? yeah 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 um and while halloween the original one from 1978 right that is playing um during the party scene at the end of the movie right like mm-hmm. the second half of the movie right yeah that movie being scream um <laughs> is halloween and that is kind of considered like the quintessential slasher film although there are two slasher films that precede it which is the which is texas chainsaw massacre and black christmas those both come out in 74 Mm. so uh they do predate halloween however halloween just like really creates the mold you know puts the genre on the map yeah exactly um and so there's a a really fantastic writer her name is carol j clover Mm. in 1992 she wrote a book called men women and chainsaws okay yeah Uh, you'd love it you should read it yeah um, and she she's actually the one who's credited with creating the idea of the final girl. That's oh. where it comes from. Yeah. So. Uh, and what year was this? She writes the the book is copyrighted 1992. OK. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. So, according to Carol J. Clover, there are six critical elements to the subgenre. There's the killer or mm-hmm. killers in this case. Right. The location, which in the in 
the example of Scream is Woodsboro. Right. This like small town. In California. Yeah. And we know it's in California. It's always worse when it's a small town getting terrorized. Of course. We've got the weapons, right? And so Ghostface does have a quintessential weapon. Which is uh, it's a knife it's called a hunting the knife. Buck 120. It's just like a it's pretty, a hunting knife. Yeah, it's a pretty standard hunting knife. And then you also have the idea that that um, Billy that has a tendency to uh, strangle, to strangle, right, and that to hang. His weapon is his hands. Yeah, his right? hands, yeah. yeah. He likes to get his hands in there. Um, the but weapon, also, yeah. the victims, right? Normally adolescents, right? Uh, there's usually some kind of shock, right? So I think that in this instance, this comes when. Uh, Billy has been shot several times, and Randy tells us like he's gonna come back for one more. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and but Sydney's ready and gets him those with like jump scare, scare things. Yes, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. And then the 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 existence of the final girl, right? Um, Our Sydney. Yeah. So, and another thing that that she brings up is that over these slasher films, especially since a lot of these slasher films spawn franchises, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the killer, the killer is the fixed element, right? So even though Billy and Stu die. Ghostface Ghost comes back, yeah. right? Um, the victims are changeable, you know, the ones we see in the movies, right? The victims who who die in the first one versus the ones, the, the new characters who are introduced and die in the second one, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the victims are interchangeable, um, but it's the it's the killer who's the mainstay, right? Right, yeah. So we've got what's considered the, the modern period of slasher films, which is basically we could, st- um, you know, scholars go back and forth. They say, you know, with Halloween 1978 is like the beginning of the modern period. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes pretty much through the eighties. Uh, and then overwhelmingly, this is attributed, um, socially to, uh, the Reagan administration. Right. What is it? Man? I know what is it? Right. It was Reagan all along. Um, <laughs> After that, we have this postmodern period, which basically exists throughout the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Things are starting to move as we move out of the 80s, right? Reagan's not in office anymore, certainly by the time that, that um, Clinton's elected, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the social expectations are changing, right? Yeah. So then we move into the postmodern period, which is really short. It's really only the 1990s because as soon as 9-11 happens, then we, we get into what's called the neo-slasher mm. film, uh, film genre. Yeah. Um, of which Scream 4 fits very well. Oh, okay. um, And then, yeah, once we have the, the – at the beginning of the new millennium, right, once the 2000s roll around, it, and then, of course, only just like a year or so later, 9-11 happens, uh, the slasher, star- slasher movie starts to change again, right? So we've got two really great examples of a postmodern slasher, which is Scream yep. and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have not seen that one, but I'm familiar. Oh, man. I haven't seen that movie since I was 18 years old. <laughs> I remember not liking it. Oh, really? Um, I'd give it another shot. Sure. Um, I just mostly know it as a thing that gets referenced a lot. Of course, yes. Because it was important. It was important, yes. And a, a very good example of a postmodern slasher. Yeah. Um, Is the thing that differentiates the postmodern from the modern the fact that it's, like, more referential? Maybe. Uh, I think, well, I think also, like, as a genre is starting to progress, like, there is enough examples of the genre to reference. Yeah. Right? Um, But also, I think, I'm going to make the case that it really is all about Reagan. Oh, okay. Allow me. and and that the the slasher film in the modern era, and a little bit in the postmodern era of the slasher film, um, is that there's this idea of of punishment for sexuality. 
Right. 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 right, Which is where we get the rule of you can't have sex. Right. Yeah. Um, It's applied. It's really throughout the entire subgenre. Right. And the killer is the person who, you know, who carries out this punishment. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And the killer often looks human. Most of the time they're male. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they can also have like a supernatural element to them. Usually this is like appearing invincible. Right. Right. Or like being in two places at once in the case of Scream. It's just like, wait, how how is my boyfriend dead over there? but then when I run across the house he's over there he's over there how is this possible and we see this in other slasher films like we see the the supernatural element we see that in um, Nightmare on Elm Street we see this in Candyman Uh, we see this in I mean isn't that a deal with Halloween in Carrie in Halloween, as we he keeps see it coming in Halloween. back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know about in the first we one. We see but. it. We see it in Friday the Thirteenth. In the first movie, Jason's dead. Oh, right, right, right and right. he comes back. Right. So we we have a a pretty a pretty clear connection to the supernatural as well. Right, right. and that mm-hmm. doesn't happen in our screen because it's referencing these things, but right. it's staying more grounded. It's like this is real. The teens are going to talk like teens. Yeah, you know, it's We're real be real life, and it, they seem supernatural but really it's just two of them yeah right um and something else that i thought was really interesting is the way that slasher films depict the death of males versus females oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we see this with the principal his death is a little more swift it's more from a distance right. um it's on screen but like the final blow we don't see we like see it in his That's eyes true remember? and we hear about how he gets like displayed and stuff but we don't see the we display don't see in and the we way think that we the do same with Casey. Thing, we see the same thing with steve right he's just sitting on the chair right we and don't we know cut what away and we him. cut back and all of a sudden his outside insides are on the outside yeah right um but on the other hand when women are killed right it's usually at a closer range much greater detail and usually at a much greater length uh, again the difference between casey's death and steve's death yeah right? yeah casey's is um, drawn out the Tatum's difference between is too. tatum and the principals right yeah. and what i don't really i can't remember off the top of my head what happens with kenny I don't think we actually see when he dies. We just see Gail find his body when it falls off the top of the right. van. So again, oh, that's why she crashes. Cause his body the, falls off the van and yeah. there's blood everywhere. And, and it gets on her way for And then she's that. mad at him. We know this movie. Yeah, we know. We watched it. <laughs> um, so these are just according to Carol J. Clover, right? Yeah. Um, these quintessential aspects of the slasher that we see mirrored in screen right um but when we get to once we move from the modern to the postmodern slasher right um we also see an evolution in the idea of the final girl right Right. so at first the final girl is like she's always very virginal Mm -hmm. right yeah the thing that distinguishes her from the rest of the adolescents in the film is that she's not sexually active right right there's something about her appearance or her character that's very virginal maybe she dresses down yeah a little bit more modest right there's something more virginal about her and that's like more unique in compared to in comparison to the other characters yeah. in the film who usually end up dying right um but in once we move from the modern to the postmodern the 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 final girl evolves to have a more active role mm. in fighting the killer right um usually without any help from from anyone else right, right again yeah. the adults are useless the adults right? are useless um and two of the adolescents are the killers yeah and the other young people are dead yeah right yeah sydney really needs to kind of handle it or somehow own. incapacitated yeah sydney really needs to handle herself right and she's the one who takes down Stu and billy yeah. right and i think that over the course of the character of sydney prescott over the franchise mm-hmm. is a really fantastic final girl yeah. i think she might be one of my favorites that's fair yeah yeah she evolves in a way that's cool very much like and her trauma never gets like forgotten 
it stays like a part of her right without like without destroying her yeah right yeah so like in the later films she gets smart yeah right she's the one who like invests in caller id in the late right. 90s before a lot of other people right do, which right? is such a comparison to like in the first film where she says straight up like oh i don't really like horror films because there's always some bimbo with big yeah. breasts who runs up the stairs when she should be running she's down, down. Yeah. but the moment somebody comes into her house she runs upstairs yeah. Like, Sydney hasn't quite gotten smart yet. She hasn't learned and, yet. And, and we see her evolving. It's smart. And that illogical thinking is also pretty well documented in slasher films. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I think, uh, what I think is really interesting is the equivalence of sex and death, right? Mm-hmm. If we think about, you know, we think about even the 70s, really, over through the 80s, and we think about American politics, right? We've got Nixon, mm-hmm. an incredibly conservative president, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get, like, four years of Carter, yeah, which is just super weird. Um, <laughs> and then we get two terms of the Reagan administration, right? Yeah. And so we kind of, you know, there's a lot of, of, of scholars, right, of American history and, and film, for that matter, who consider the 80s to be like the 50s part two Mm. right like this return to like this conservative morally upright america family matters family nuclear family heterosexuality yeah specific prescribed gender well yeah and of course it's all just a reaction to all of the like civil rights wins right like the 60s and 70s right so it's it's a backlash to To all of that yeah to uh progress people get change is scary people are scared of progress yeah it's natural people talk about that being sort of what's happening now after we've had you know we had like obama we had some progress yeah (laughs) a little bit yeah and then like the backlash to that it was like no like we already had you know um a not white president we we're not ready for a woman president right like instead let's get a racist let's get yeah let's get donald trump in on this so (laughs) but katie pop quiz what else happens in the 80s the aids pandemic the the hiv crisis yes yeah so we have a a real life connection of sex and death in the 80s right um absolutely particularly around men right we consider especially in the early days that hiv and aids is something gay men right get it was originally called gay related immuno something deficiency yeah (laughs) gay related though yeah gay related um so we have you know the equivalence of sex and death happening in american society and it's reflected in our movies right um especially in our horror movies because you know i think one of the best things that horror movies can do is reflect our own anxieties at us and let us experience them in a safe and entertaining way absolutely so this is why sex is bad right but any other kind of moral failing is bad too right uh he, he, yeah randy even mentions you shouldn't be drinking you shouldn't be smoking doing, yeah. doing, shouldn't be all doing the any kids kind are like Boo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> shouldn't be doing any kind of drug all of this is is bad yeah. right i mean the other one he throws out is that you should never say i'll be right back right. which isn't one of those but it's and fun. i i think what the i'll be right back has to do with is separating yourself from the group yeah separating yourself from the group is a huge no-no yeah right um, there is, you know, we've got the, a, a panic, right? We've got a decline bias that the, the kids are going crazy. They're watching too many horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, talking and on their cellular telephones. telephones and they're having sex. Yeah. Right. Which is, uh, a, for some reason, teenage sex is like the most terrifying thing. To, always has been, always people. will be. Yeah, I don't really understand why. So we've got like this, this callback to like a, you know, a more conservative American society, you know, um, a, a 
morally upright and and part of that is is abstaining from sex outside of of marriage right but it also has to do with abstaining from sex because you'll get hiv and you'll die yeah right yeah and as a matter of fact because of the atrocious handling of <laughs> the hiv crisis during the 80s um Reagan. hiv transmissions rates rise every single year i think until i'm gonna look it up just to make sure i'm not talking out of my butt that like HIV transmission rates rise every single year until like ninety three. That sounds right. Yeah, you're our sex ed teacher, though. You would know. It's it's definitely in the nineties. Oh, that's awful. Um, it's definitely well over a decade yeah. of of having and just to, of knowing about HIV. Yeah. And just to be clear, we're pretty specifically talking about like America and the Western world because uh, very much the history of the HIV and AIDS crisis is very different, say in like Africa and things like that. I just feel like I had to throw in that caveat. Of course, yeah. And and also this is an this is a Hollywood movie, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, this is very much for a Western audience. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Just want to throw that in there. Um, so uh, even though this movie takes place in '96, HIV rates are only just now starting to drop. The yeah. transmission rates, right? So we've got this, and and this is also another thing that 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 turns the modern slasher film into the postmodern slasher film. It's like, okay, Reagan's not in office anymore. We have, you know, almost a decade of Democratic leadership with mm-hmm. Bill Clinton, right? And then we finally start doing the bare minimum <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to take care of, of HIV AIDS transmission. And, and then, so that's when sex kind of uh, starts to become less of a big deal in those kinds of movies. But in 1996, sex is a big deal. Yeah. Right? So, and I d- definitely want to keep talking I mean, about it's, sex it's, and gender and the gay yeah. stuff that's happening in this film. Yeah. But you want to. No, that's what I want to talk about. Corner. Let's yeah. do that. It's time for Literary Corner with Katie. Literary Corner. Okay. Yeah. No, specifically <laughs> what I want to talk about is that this is obviously, I always talk about things as like a text, but I, it's a movie. But, in but this, it's a text. It's a text. Yeah. And in this text that really delights in like explicit explanation for things. Like it's explicitly is like, here's the tropes that we're playing with. Mm-hmm. Here's Randy going to lay out exactly what's happening. You know, yeah. here's what our character motivation is. You know, even if we get some different things, here's why what Sydney is thinking about her mom at every moment. Yeah. You know, we have all these things that are explicitly explained. I think the stuff that remains subtextual is really interesting. And that's mostly the gay stuff. It's the gay stuff. But yeah. before we get to that, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page about what subtext means. Sure. Yeah, good I idea. I think we all do know, especially in terms of like queer subtext, yeah. that's become kind of a buzzword mm-hmm. phrase thing. Mm-hmm. But to make sure we know, subtext is like the implicit or metaphorical meaning of a text. And this is really important for horror as a genre. It comes up a lot. Um, Kind of as we were just talking about with how it's the Reagan administration really played a role in why slashers became so big because Mm -hmm. of these anxieties getting expressed. They were never explicit about like sex is bad and you're going to die because you're having sex. But they were like, oh, these girls are having sex and now they're dead. What's that about? Like, you know, they're not going to be explicit about it, but they're going to be subtextual about it. But this really has always been a thing with the horror genre. If we think about the word monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes from the French word monstrum, which means etymology. Etymology, right? etymology, History. etymology corner, etymology yeah, corner. <laughs> yeah. So the French word monstrum, okay, which means like a bad omen. Oh, okay. You know, so okay. like specifically, I was seeing a lot of references to it in terms of like you know you have a a goat who gives birth to like a 
a goat with two heads or something mm-hmm. that like isn't viable and stuff and that being seen as like a bad omen mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing but also the connection between that and monsters something monstrous yes something that you see that's like freaky and weird and not natural right that's where monster comes from but before that it came from the latin word I can't pronounce Latin, uh, monera, monere, M-O-N-E-R-E, mm-hmm. which is like to warn, remind, or instruct. Mm. So it's like also the words that where we have like premonition comes from that, oh. demonstration, oh. monitor, like when you're monitoring something. Oh. These are all the same roots, the oh. same Latin root. Thanks, Latin. So the word monster mm-hmm. is all about showing us something, A, a bad omen, but also like showing us through metaphor, through subtext, what we're afraid of. Right. A monster isn't just its own big scary thing. A monster is representational right. of what is scary to us. And I'm and now what I'm this is making me think of is the movies that are referenced in this film, right? Mm-hmm. And how they all seem to follow a basic idea, except Frankenstein. Frankenstein's yeah. kind of just thrown in there. It's certainly the oldest of these yeah. films, right? And yeah, I was trying to doing some idea of like, okay, so what are the like these are horror movies, but what are the subgenres of them, right? And what I just wrote down for Frankenstein is monster. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think Frankenstein is actually an interesting one in terms of subtext. Mm-hmm. Because when Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, it has been, like, argued, considered to be the first, like, sci-fi science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. There are some debates about if it was actually the first or not. But it was definitely up there sure. as yeah. the first science fiction novel. And whether it's not, it's a great horror story that is dealing subtextually with anxieties around modern scientific advancements right. and like where ethics and religion fits alongside that. What is that. the role of man and what is the role of God? Yeah, yeah. And like, and this idea of advancing scientific discoveries yeah. alongside the nineties when we started to have cellular phones, cellular and telephones, internet, you know, and all this sort of ramping up of new technology that happened. Yeah. I think Frankenstein actually fits in subtextually really well. Huh. Subtextually, I mean, also then to talk about, like, fears around sexuality, that's why we see a lot of, like, vampire stuff and how vampires tend to... Oh, yeah, there was, like, a whole subgenre in the 70s about lesbian vampires. Lesbian vampires. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to, like, the 1870s with right. the book Carmilla. Right. Which was... It actually predates Dracula as, like, a vampire does, novel. yes, yeah. And it's about a, pre- a literal predatory lesbian, which yes. is a common trope about how lesbians are big and scary, you know? However, now, is Carmilla... Is it written, was it written by a man? Sheridan Le Fanon. I, yes. So, a yeah. Is that a guy? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Sorry. Um, right. And then, well, that's the other, that's the really big criticism of the 70s lesbian vampires. It's all, is the, that it's this male gaze. There is the male gaze, yeah. That yeah. it's directed, written, yeah. produced by men. Yeah. Because the fear is, here are these women who don't need men. Yeah. And who are even violently opposed to men. Right. And coming out of the sexual liberation movement. And like... That particular wave of feminism, I get them all confused, whichever number feminism that is. Second wave, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that idea. And so, like, we get that all the time with all of our classic monsters. We get, like, werewolves as, like, the classic. They can be all sorts of things, like transformation. They can be, like, loss of control and, like, the animal inside of us. Um, Ginger Snaps uses it really well for, like, puberty Mm. and, like, female sexuality, coming-of-age stuff. That's a huge thing with these, uh, what I think is a really popular subgenre of horror right now is like the demonic possession right oh yeah the idea of a demonic possession is is so often geared at at adolescent girls Mm -hmm. because like it is the idea that like someone starting to menstruate is like invites yeah 
stress and evil and like maybe even a demon right i mean we even talked about that in our last episode about the witch where part of the reason why they're concerned about thomason is because she is now uh, her womanhood was upon her yeah therefore she is something to be feared Mm -hmm. and the thing with horror films as a genre is that it's a great genre for exploring these kind of fears and it has been since you know like carmilla and frankenstein Mm -hmm. and all those classic novels till today with our common current movies right and like often you don't even have to scratch very far below the surface to no, get at right what it there. is but it's still they never explicitly say it yeah is the point that's what makes it the subtext yeah. so i just kind of wanted to add that into our lexicon before we move forward mm-hmm. because we're going to be talking about subtext forever in this pod- podcast right yeah and specifically with this movie let's talk about the gay stuff let's talk about the gay stuff so let me just let me just take the the easy one off the low hanging fruit may yeah. i yeah so obviously the knife phallic symbol Ooh. right um and also the a gun gets introduced in the final act and yeah. I, the guns are also quite phallic i think no and what i really love with specifically the knife and that whole scene is i mean there's so much in that but it's that's right when Stu, right before he gets stabbed he calls billy baby he does he calls billy baby Ooh. he's like come on baby he also calls oh Sydney i thought baby. that was more of a like him getting amped yeah, up like, come on, still, baby. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like no but that's also when um the really great part where billy uses the knife to sort of like lift Stu's chin up yeah it's just it's hot oh, oh yeah so that's what i wanted to say is that that Stu Stu and billy stab each other which is like a pretty obvious allusion to penetrating oh yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're like penetrating each other with this phallic symbol right yeah no uh, and also just like how like kind of snm dommy it gets between them yeah with that they're very they're very like yeah yeah slave and master relationship like, for and sure and the way yeah. that he's just like stabbing him and stabbing him like more than they agreed is on that- did I, am I saying that right? Are we, do they, are we still using the term slave and master? I'm not a part of this community. I feel like we're, we're trying to move away from the term I, slave I mean, as much like servant and master. I, yeah, Let's, I think so. I'm going to use that. Let's say servant and master. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, very, but that's sadomasochistic yeah. stuff. Which, and how he's stabbing him and stabbing him until Stu's like, okay, that's as much as I can take. Yeah. 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 You cut me too deep, man. Yeah. yeah. And then Billy still then is just sort of directing Stu around, like grab the gun. Yeah. Give me the knife. Yep. Do all this. Do yep. that. And, like, biting the knife for some reason. That moment where Billy bites the knife. I'm like, why are you making murder so <laughs> sexy right now? Skeet! <laughs> so many feelings. Um, and then then I realized I made a connection, right? Because they, they very quickly reference Hellraiser, right? Yeah. And I was thinking about the, the sort of sadomasochistic relationship Bill and Stu have. Yeah. Billy and Stu have. And Cenobites are mad kinky. Oh, yeah. That's like their whole deal. It's like their whole deal. Right? I only yeah. know that because of Cabin in the Woods. But, yeah, that's their whole deal. Yeah. It, trust me. It, it, yeah. 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 No, just the, the the fact that in another world, in another life, Billy and Stu could have just had the happiest kinky relationship together. Yeah. If they could have just gone another way. Yeah. <laughs> Be swear voice. Yeah. <laughs> Too much anxiety about sex. They needed to, trans like, express it through murder instead. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Reagan. <laughs> Um, no, and we already talked about the fact that most of their kills are in some way, like, sex-motivated. Right. But an interesting thing about that, mm-hmm. I think, is that they target each other's girlfriends. They do, right. Especially if we think Billy is the one who killed Casey. 
because oh, that was also ooh, Stu's. They make ex. a reference to Stu yeah. and them and how they used dating. to date. What, and what does Stu date like? Yeah, for like a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah. So this idea because it goes back to the cheerleader thing where she thinks that maybe Sydney killed Casey and Steve because she was in a jealous rage because she loved Steve or something, and then the idea that like well. No, but the idea of maybe Billy and Stu killing each other's girlfriends. Right. <laughs> there could be some jealousy involved in that. Right. And, and, and like the keeping them to myself, you know. And Randy references this, right, when he when he n- hits the nail on the head and it's just like, hey, it's Billy. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, then, like, why would Billy want to kill Sydney? That's his girlfriend, you know. And, and Randy astutely mentions there's always some bullshit reason yeah. to kill your girlfriend. And so it does make sense. It's just like he doesn't kill his girlfriend. Right. Right. But, like, Billy does kill Tatum, Stu's girlfriend. So he's not killing his girlfriend. He's getting his boyfriend to kill his girlfriend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, a whole lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And also just in that same scene that Randy refers to Stu, refers to Stu as Billy's lapdog. Yes. Just to keep going with that sort of, like, dummy, yes. stubby relationship going on. Like, no notes. You're so right about everything, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too bad that they had to make this, like, psychosexual violence. Yeah. And they couldn't just live, like, as a happy kinky couple right, right yeah yeah because yeah. like yeah. the inherent homoeroticism of everything they do like when they're holding when Stu is holding randy in place while billy intimidates him yeah yeah, yeah. like they just work oh, as a team and they're like so kind sexy of dr- like Stu, because because matthew lillard's a tall guy God, yes and so he like drapes. he kind of drapes over people over yeah. the course of yeah he drapes film. over randy and like plays and only with men his ear. yeah kind of he plays, plays with randy's ear, ear a little yeah. bit and he, he, he drapes kind of puts his arm around Tatum a few times. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. He's he's but, affectionate with Tatum. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like but he also drapes himself over Billy. What, like he has his end. like chin on Billy's yeah. shoulder, like face to face, and cheek like, to cheek. Talking about their plan and like just gazing yeah. at him while yeah. he's taunting Sid. And and there is something about slashers specifically. Obviously, there's like a ton of you can. It's super easy to find the gay subtext in any horror film, right? Yeah. Um, but in slasher films, especially again with their roots in you know yeah. conservative Reagan era, and that like and with the the AIDS epidemic, is that like sex is dangerous and could literally kill you, right? Yeah. Particularly if it involves a penis. I, I wrote down the more penises, the more dangerous. <laughs> right. We right? got two yeah. whole penises. Two here. penises <laughs> plus dangerous. a metaphorical penis with our knife. With the knife, yes. And exactly. there's also this idea of like. Like the murder, like we're talking about, substituting the place of sex. Yeah, uh, we know immediately after we already talked about this. Immediately after they do the first kill, we see Casey and Steve. Mm-hmm. They both immediately go to their respective girlfriends to go either have sex or try to have sex, or well, to establish an alibi. Right, to establish yes. an alibi, but also to like subtextually establish their heterosexuality. Yes, and like yeah. distinguish themselves, like distance themselves from each other, and be like, no, I am in this pair. It is yes. Billy and Sydney. Yes. What could be better? It is Stu and Tatum. It's yes. not Billy and Stu. Even though it's totally Billy and Stu. Yeah. yeah. I also actually really love, just going back to how Stu is a little bit bad at things. <laughs> He's not good. He's. I mean, it's weird because we explicitly get mentioned to like the idea of the murder-suicide being Stu's idea. And honestly, I love that part because Billy kind of looks at him like, yeah, that's my boo. He came up with that idea. That was his <laughs> idea. Good idea. So, I like, didn't even has, have to tell him. Yeah. So like there are these moments where like Stu has these like like good ideas Mm -hmm. but like he's just so bad at keeping things under wraps yeah like and there's the scene where it's all five of them talking about the murder the next day at school that scene is great just because they're all sort of talking about like well who could be the murderer and Stu does a really bad job of convincing people that he couldn't be a murderer but what I really like about it is that he gets so obsessed with the idea of like men being big, strong, manly killer men? Because yes. <laughs> Tatum's like, well, it could be a woman. Nobody yeah. saw them. It could be, a-. and he's like, no, 
Like, no, you know? it's a guy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a guy. And, like, and so if we're doing this connection between sex and murder, right, we yes. have Stu kind of being like, no, sex is done by men. Men, In the same yes. way that murder is done by men. Yes. Women can only have sex slash murder yes. done to, to them. them. Yes. And then, like, knowing that Stu and Billy committed these murders together is just like, all right, buddy. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, very sexual. And this is Stu being like, no, there are no girls involved. Gross. <laughs> we don't want girls involved in this. This is our really cool bro time. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, <laughs> Stu. Um, um, and like we already touched on this, but Billy really just has to like quote Psycho twice and like really associate he, himself with Norman Bates. Yeah, like we twice. get it, Billy. That's gay, babes. Yeah. Like that's gay. Right. Well, because well, and we also think about like thinking meta. Mm-hmm. Anthony Perkins was gay, mm-hmm. right? Um, or at least queer. You right, know, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is label. always, like, the hard, the hard time I have with things is, like, when we think about, like, gay stuff in the past. It's yeah. just, like, well, we don't know how this person would identify if they had today's language. Like, yeah. so saying gay might be a little right. uh, oversimplistic, right? right? You know. So we're acknowledging our oversimplistic. Like, the same, actually, even with us talking about Stu and Billy and their, like, subtextual gay relationship. Yes. I think Stu in general, we can actually talk about this right now. Stu in general has, like, mad bisexual energy. Well, crazy bisexual energy. Um, no, I just want wanted to say one I do want to talk about the bisexual energy yeah I, I always do but um I think also I you're absolutely right when you were talking about Stu like telling Tatum no there could no girls involved yeah. right I think this also is you know rooted in in misogyny right, and right I think, yeah yeah I think this ha- the misogyny also comes up for Sydney right it's like it's her fault yeah you know it's her mom's fault yeah. right it's always a woman's fault right, yeah. whatever happened and and Billy even like blames blame Sydney's mom for his mom leaving yeah. right and I was like you're a kid you don't know anything about the ins and out of your parents relationship right yeah right, you know and why not blame your dad for cheating for cheating on the in the first that place, seems yeah. like a more obvious step but yeah. whatever but no no it's always a yeah. and fault. that is kind of the thing about not to like dis on cis gay men but there can be a sort of sense of misogyny in that environment a lot of time absolutely and yeah. also a thing about and on the reverse of that mm-hmm. this very like cis heterosexual dude zone yeah that can get like very misogynistic to the point of being kind of gay. Yeah, <laughs> Where it's like yeah, girls yeah. suck, men are the best, yeah. and it's like oh, I just want to hang out with my bros. Saying that, <laughs> tell me more about what you think about men. <laughs> so yeah, but still, yeah, like has that kind of more bisexual energy. Very much, yes. Because he does seem to have some interest in Tatum. Oh, he's into Tatum, and yeah. you know what? Don't blame him. Yeah, Tatum's great. Yeah, yeah, she's perfect. Yeah, honestly, love her. Yeah, gone too soon. R.I.P. <laughs> So, yeah, he's definitely got some girl stuff going on, right? Yeah. He's into girls at least a little bit, yeah. right? Or at least enough because I, I think he probably understands that, like, he needs to keep up appearances right. of heterosexuality, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm like, Tatum and I are cool. Like, I can, yeah, we yeah. can do this for and a while. And he apparently sort of had a thing with Casey. Apparently. Right, yeah. 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 And then, I mean, you could probably make that argument with Billy, too. Like, he is both, he both seems less interested in women and less interested in men than Stu does. Like, yes. the sexuality isn't as forefront in terms of his action. It's more subtextual with him. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's constantly trying to sleep with Sydney, right. but there's something about that. He even says himself it was part of the game. It's not really about the sex itself. It's about the control. Yeah, the control. And, like, and then, of course, uh, according to the slasher movie rules, once she's not a virgin, you yeah. can kill her now. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I think yeah. we do need to touch on what you wanted to touch on, the idea of the, like, psycho-depraved bisexual yeah. killer trope. Of which I feel Stu is 
pretty yeah. neatly defined. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we don't get it explicitly, but like subtextually, just the way that he's hanging off of Billy. Yeah, he likes to hang. He likes, he likes to, to hang. Drape. He likes the to penetration. Drape. He's yeah. getting penetrated by another man. Yeah. Like, okay, we see. And also penetrating another man. Yeah. 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 And this is a common trope in films and in, I mean, it really goes back to like pulp novels when you couldn't really, you couldn't have gay characters or queer characters in books and films Mm -hmm. um unless they were like explicitly evil or like had some sort of tragic end which gets us into like bury your gay tropes or like uh would this also be correct or if they like somehow like repent yeah maybe Maybe, but often that repent would be through like a sacrifice or a suicide or something like that yeah so it'd still be like something tragic or they would just be straight up evil and that this especially happened it happened with like gays and lesbians too but with the bisexuals with the idea of them being like too much and greedy and just hungry mm-hmm. and, and like how they don't consider anything taboo they'll sleep with anybody and that also means that they don't consider anything else taboo so why would they care about killing like it immediately goes to like they have no boundaries at all right yeah and so we have a lot of classics we've already talked about basic instinct and how sharon stone kind of is like a quintessential bisexual psycho in that and just to give some more examples so you know what we're talking about um i'm a big comics yeah. person yeah, so like, like comic books harlequin in dc she's yeah. a psycho bisexual yeah. mystique in the marvel universe um but then it also comes up a lot with vampires like yeah. i feel like all the vampires in true blood were like bisexual and also murderers right um in buffy angel and spike i think both separately talk about sleeping with men or like oh, with each other i have not watched that show yeah i'm pretty That's sure great. that they reference having a relationship with each other oh. or like they're kind of vague about it okay. but like and, uh, and also it. like the first time we get hints that willow who's a human character might is gay she yeah. ends up being a lesbian isn't until she's we see an alternate version of her who is a vampire and that's the first time we see her express oh, her sexuality I see. and i think xander when he's like quote like a vampire in an alternate universe he's mm-hmm. like bisexual too so it's like mm. it's like a thing we get that in the hunger with Catherine deneuve and david bowie and just to give one more um, modern example um in terms of film mm-hmm. allison williams character in get out we just like they have right. to have a moment of a She's brief evil. reference to here's at least one woman that she seduced yes. to get into this situation yeah. And it's unclear if she actually likes either men or women, but Mm -hmm. she's aware that she's going to use her bisexuality to, like, seduce these people and use it as a tool for her evil ends. Right. And I also think because, you know, who watched the Purge TV show? We did! I think just us. (laughs) I think just us. Just us. Um, And this is a a thing you'll learn about Katie and I is that we are huge Purge fans. Purge fans first. Uh, Horror film fans second. (laughs) Katie feels that way, yes. Um, I'm a huge fan of that series, and I, I'll we love Purge. I, I'll die on that hill. I have yeah, a lot Purge of, is a great. A series. lot of my friends say, "Oh my gosh, Purge is so stupid." It's like, no, it's no. actually fantastic, and here's why. And we will, yeah, we in the, due time we will get to the Purge series. The TV show shows, however, the f- second season wasn't bad. I did, there were parts of the first season I liked too, but there's a part that I very much did not like. Unfortunately, I think it it cannot. The first season cannot be redeemed because there is a. Um, a couple in an open relationship mm-hmm. and they're terrible at being in an open relationship. Yes. Um, and they have, they introduce a, another woman into their, into their, their lives. Right. Yeah. And she is, I don't even remember her name. It was like I don't, Lily or Lila cares? Stanton. Oh my God. I can't believe what? I remember that. It's oh, because Lila her name Stanton. was Lila and that's my cat's yes. name. And I was like, how very dare yeah. you co-opt the name Lila. <laughs> um, 
and she is a huge psycho bisexual like yeah. she's she's trying to kill the guy she um the woman is pregnant mm-hmm. and she like mentions that like it's her baby but yeah like, it's, i think woo, she's a hot mess that's yeah. kind of where we're going with the psycho bisexual i feel like we've gotten to a point where it's like we have a lot of tv shows now actually where it's like either we don't mention bisexuality or like everybody's bi and it's yeah. like cool and it's fine yeah. and everybody's bi so like we've gotten a lot more like the tropes are still there and the stigma's still there around bisexuality but not in the same way it was yeah. so we've transitioned to like polyamory right as the location yeah. for where we're going to have the psycho bisexual show up yeah like it was in that it was in uh why women kill literally oh. the same storyline oh okay open relationship this two couple mm-hmm. these two people and this yeah. couple and a new girl comes in and is a murderer, like a yeah. psycho and jealous and stuff yeah. and, like, wants to kill people. Yeah. You know? And so, anyway, that's the psycho bisexual. Just something else to add and, to our lexicon. And Stu is one. Yeah. 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 I think he, yeah, I, I think I totally agree with what you mentioned is that Stu does seem a little bit more motivated by sex. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's down to, like, murder some people, don't get me wrong, but I think, like, sex is a bigger motivator for him, whereas, like, sex is just part of, like, the larger game for Billy. Yeah, yeah. Billy is just about, like, getting revenge, getting control over everybody. Being his, I feel like he thinks his life is very out of control since he lost his mom. Absolutely. So, like, this is his way of also, regaining control. Also, he's a teenager. He's a teenager. His boy. life is out of control. Yeah. Absolutely. Shit's getting wild. And, of course, they're teenagers. Of course, they're thinking about sex. Of course, yes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. This kind of goes to Stu's motive as well. Because what he actually says his motive is peer pressure and that he's too yes. sensitive. He's too sensitive. And yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about he's how. He's far too sensitive. He's far too sensitive. Yeah, the says. poor baby. And going back to that kind of dommy subby thing. Yeah. But also going to the idea of like folie à deux. Yes. I can't speak French. I'm doing a lot of French this episode. I always said folie à deux. Folie à deux. Uh, I think that's right. Which is also, may I just say, the title of my favorite Fall Out Boy album. <laughs> okay. Folie à deux. Very that's good. a good name for an album. It's a great name for an album yeah. and it's a great album. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a, so folie adieu, or like shared psychotic disorder, mm-hmm. was a disorder in like the DSM-4, but I don't think it's recognized nah, anymore. I think we're done with it. And yeah. I like, I'm not actually interested in getting into the psychology of it. I'm more interested in it as like, We'd how it's, forever. how it's used in fiction yes. and how it's used here. Yes. And like, it's often represented with like a dominant person, yep. the inducer, yep. who like has a delusion that they're putting onto the other person, yeah. who's often very like dependent and susceptible to like peer pressure. Yeah. You know, and I just feel like that's very Billy and Stu and this idea that like things could have gone different if they never met each other. Like they're a bad influence on each other. And this that automatically makes me think of Harris and Klebold, the two Columbine shooters. Oh, yep. Um, Very similar thing. Like Mm -hmm. if if they had never met each other, their lives would have gone a completely different way. But we just had like one like suicidal depressive and like one um I'm kind of going back and forth on the use of the term psycho and so- sociopath. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know how difference. I feel about those. Yeah, those I feel terms. weird labeling anybody in general unless we're talking about, like, fictional characters. Exactly. These are real human beings who did real things, right? Yeah. And, well, and that's the other thing I mentioned is, like, not only is this movie pre-9-11, it's also pre-Columbine. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, when we think about, like, teenagers exacting revenge and murder on other teenagers, yeah. right? Um, that's the very same thing with, with Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Yeah was like this if these two hadn't met each other they would have just done com- led completely different lives mm-hmm. but like they got together and yeah. like they fed off of each other's insecurities and yeah and like and I can, then we get columbine and i can see a world where if Stu and billy weren't there to sort of like encourage each other mm-hmm. these things like i don't think like Stu would have had no reason to do most of these killings 
Yeah. The, the motivations weren't really his, the initial killings, yeah. like Sydney's mom and stuff. Yeah. But I also think Stu has been, like, really important as support for Billy. Yeah. That Billy would not have been able to pull these off without having that support there. Yeah, he needs somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, he needs somebody to boss around and also yeah. apparently somebody to come up with some pretty good plans. Apparently Stu's a plan guy. But then also not executing them well. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I love that for Stu. <laughs> um, but I also want to go back to, like, Billy spends a lot of time comparing himself to Norman Bates and yeah. Psycho, but I think the better Hitchcock comparison. Person yes. that they do not mention no. would be rope very much so and again as we mentioned as i mentioned off mic uh, billy and Stu are not watching rope yeah yeah and how i think that may have been probably because it'd be a little too on the note like i think it would have been a little too close to the bone for them to actually watch that sure the yeah. original play that it was based mm-hmm. on the homosexual relationship between our two main killers and rope the mm-hmm. play it's explicit it's they are text. gay in the movie, Hitchcock movie, it's more subtextual. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we do have to say that it's based on, to an extent, it's based on Leopold and Loeb. Yeah. It's very much fictionalized and, like, mostly they just take the Ubermensch thing. But yeah. there's, there's also some, like, queer stuff and, and some foliado going on with, foliado yeah. going and, on with Leopold and Loeb. Yeah, and Leopold and Loeb are, are definitely, there's definitely a sexual aspect to their relationship. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call them a couple. Yeah, Right, yeah. but it's very, like, dom-sub. Yeah, very yeah. much. It's yeah. it's that same sort of idea. So that's yeah. what's coming into this idea, this like characterization in Rope, mm-hmm. the movie and the play. Um, and it's very subtextual in the movie. But like, I just want people. This is a little homework assignment for you at home. Uh oh. Um, watch the opening. The opening murder in Rope. Okay. Have you seen Rope? Actually? I haven't seen. We rope. should watch Rope. I love we should rope. watch Rope. Yeah. Um, like it's. I'm not coming up with this. People all over have talked about the opening like murder scene. Yeah. As being subtextually a sex scene, mm-hmm. specifically what happens afterwards. After, yes. A, it like has where they're talking about it. Like the moment after they do it, they're like out of breath, panting. Yeah. One's sitting yeah. down, the other's kind of over them a little bit. Yeah. They're both panning. One goes to turn on the light, and the other guy's like, Can we leave the light off and just like be like this for a little while? And I the other one agrees one and lights a cigarette. And starts smoking a cigarette, yeah. which is the thing you do after sex. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's all there. And then yeah. later when they're talking about it, um, he's like, you're not frightened anymore, are you, Philip? And he's like, no. And he's like, not even of me. Mm. And he's like, no, you just astound me. Ooh, and he's astound. like, that's even better. Ooh. And I'm just like, okay, All yeah, right. that's the, those are the vibes there. Oh, and also, get it, you're gay. <laughs> the specific parallel, when you watch that opening scene of the actual murder, mm-hmm. I don't know which one is which because it's been a while since I watched it, Philip and some other guy. <laughs> um, one of them is holding the guy in place while the other one is yes. in front strangling him. Yes. And just compare that to Stu and Billy holding Randy in place. Yes. It is the same blocking. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, it's the same positions. One's holding one yeah. in place while the other one is up in his face yeah. doing shit. And also, I just, yeah. And just the idea of strangulation being kind of Billy's thing. Yes. And just so this idea that, like, this is the better analog to me for them. Than Psycho. Yeah. yeah. Because, again, in Rope, there are two of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we don't have the pansy-ass mama's boy, That's as Cindy true. would say. Yes. So I see why... Especially if he doesn't want to confront his, like, queerness, his subtextual queerness, why mm-hmm. Billy would rather go with Norman Bates, because that stays more subtextual. Whereas with Rope, even though it's subtext, it's, like, it's a lot more in your face. Still, yeah, yeah. mostly text, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to... So I think, like, with the subtext of the film, like, it does a lot of that equating of, like, queerness with, like, murder and, like, bad, bad, evil, bad. But I do really quickly want to talk about Sydney Prescott as a counterweight to, to that. Pres- Can we do yes. that real quick? She is our final girl. And she I is, feel yeah. like we've mentioned her, but we really haven't yeah. dove deep. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about Sydney. Because there's this interview that Kevin Williamson did with The Independent. Who's the writer. Yes. Of this script. Yeah. And who also played a part 
he wasn't the main writer, but he played a part in the Scream that came out most recently, Scream 5. Scream 5. And so he was giving an interview about that where he's talking about how he really drew on his own queerness in his love for horror Mm -hmm. and how that really fed into that. And he says, quote, as a gay kid, I related to the final girl and to her struggle because it's what one has to do to survive as a young gay kid, too. You're watching this girl survive the night and survive the trauma she's enduring. Subconsciously, I think the Scream movies are coded in gay survival. Mm, and okay. I just think that's a really interesting idea. If the writer says it, then that then it's true. I mean, he's the one the writer, who wrote but it. Yeah. He did write about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's just this idea about how Sid is like, she's unable to trust anyone. She feels like mm. she's really isolated when we first meet her. Yeah. She like doesn't know if she can trust her boyfriend. She doesn't want to sleep with him. She's yeah. feeling weird about it. She's questioning who her mother was. She's questioning like if she really saw what she saw. Right. She's like at this place where she's so confused that she can't even trust herself. And just, like, there's something very queer about that, mm-hmm, yeah. especially in, like, this 90s era. Yeah. This isolation and this fear right. and, like, not being able to figure out what people's sexual desires really are mm-hmm. or, like, what my own sexual desires are and, like. And also, the main example of female sexuality she has is her mother's. Mm-hmm. And her sexuality got her killed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she has all these lines about how she's, like, kind of, I don't know, under sex. Right, where, like, Billy's like, I have a girlfriend who would rather accuse me of being a psychotic killer than touch me. And, like. She says herself, she calls herself sexually, sexually anorexic. Anorexic. Which yeah. is such Ooh. a thing to say. There's a lot there. Um, however, you know, the, oh, I, I have a girlfriend who would rather see me as a psycho killer than touch me, right? It's just like, okay, then just break up. I know. Like, God, Billy. You're 16, 17. Just break up. Yeah. It's not working. You're, yeah. just break up. Ugh. And also, I love Tatum when Sydney is like, I'm, you know, who wants to put up with a girl who's sexually anorexic? Tatum's like, well, then fucking get rid of them. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's your sexuality. Yeah. Do what you fucking want, girl. But also just, like, these subtle, also kind of, like, gay references with Sydney mm-hmm. of, like, um, well, we actually already talked about how she looks like she is not enjoying that sex scene. Yeah, she but, do, yeah. But well, the more subs- Also, it, it doesn't look like, it, it looks like a, two people losing their virginity and that it looks like neither of them know what they're doing. Yeah. Though, yeah. according to later screen movies. Okay. Billy has had sex. That's true. <laughs> Retcon. That's true. Billy so, has sex with someone else. Yeah. Um, also, like I said, that doesn't mean he knows how to do no, it. Oh God, no! Yeah, a teenage boy in no. like the night. No, he doesn't know what he's no, ma'am. doing. Anyway. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, he's getting a girl pregnant by accident. He doesn't know what he fucking did. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, comparing her to Jodie Foster. I don't know. That's gay. Um, and also, her obsession with the Indigo Girls. She loves the Indigo Girls. She's got an Indigo Indigo Girls poster on her in, on her bedroom wall. But yeah. I don't know. I just think that she makes a nice counterweight to like this homoeroticism of villain stew, and then like this other thing. Where Sydney could be a representation or like a comparison to queer survival, according to our writer. And right. like, I don't know what to do with that, but it's interesting. Yeah. And I think that the like the character development and like the understanding of of how the character of Sydney Prescott evolves over the course of the, the franchise yeah. is really interesting. I loved her in Scream 5. Yeah, I did too. She was so badass. She was. You know? Yeah. I um, also think that. Mm-hmm. There was room for her to be a late in life lesbian, and they did not take it. But that's okay. They did not take it. You're right. Well, though you know what? Mm, yeah. Now what? Spoilers that um, Gail is single yet again. Uh-huh. I don't know. Sydney and Gail. They always work well as a team. They do work well <laughs> as a team. I don't know. I think about the well as they're they're both adults, but I think about them yeah. meeting when Sydney's yeah, a, yeah, a yeah, child. No. <laughs> yeah. um, also, Sydney deserves somebody who's like not a part of her like really that traumatic trauma. Yeah. childhood and yeah. like all of that. <laughs> Um, so I just want to mention one more thing yeah. that I just absolutely love to like really put a bow on the, the self-referential horror of it all mm-hmm. is that we have the, we have what I consider a play within a play. 
yeah. at the party. They are watching Halloween, and we actually see scenes from the original 1978 Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting to see the parallel between what's happening in the, the movie versus what's happening in, in Scream, right? Yeah. In quote-unquote real life. And, like, as as um, Randy is saying, look behind yeah. you um, as Ghostface is behind him. However, that's not good advice because he doesn't look behind him and he's he stays safe. Right. Right, yeah. I mean, he's not going to die because he's a virgin, but, like, he isn't attacked right, because yeah. he doesn't look behind him. Right? And, yeah, because Stu gets distracted by something else because Stu cannot stay on task. Yeah, he can, <laughs> he he needs can to be come up with a plan, but he cannot execute it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, we see those parallels, right? And I, I, and then also, and then Stu, the way Stu dies, or like he might already be. No, he's not quite dead yet. Yeah, but, but he's, he's in, on he's the in, ground. He's in pain. He's in bad shape. It's looking, it's looking bad. It's bad. Yeah, he's um, already been stabbed so many times. He's lost a lot of blood. Yeah, his his blood pressure is really really low. Um, that Sydney like pushes that gigantic TV showing Halloween onto his head. Yeah, right. And so I also really like that because there is also. Uh, making references to horror movies and um and that like she she says that billy and Stu have watched too many horror movies you know and so like he's killed by a horror movie yeah you know like that's pretty cool and like this technology of a of a tv to yeah. like be able to rewatch horror films that you would normally just need to like go catch at a theater again you know and also kind of like an interesting tension between sydney sort of being like i don't like horror movies i'm mm-hmm. not interested in horror movies being our girl who survives right yeah she doesn't have the information that Randy has, but she still manages to be our final girl. Right. And also the idea that she actually gets help from a horror movie to do the final kill. Yeah. Well, not the final kill, but to kill Stu. To kill Stu, yeah. And, and then, but then has to have her explicit, like, not in my movie when she kills Billy. But, like, she plays back and forth between, am I a final girl in a movie mm-hmm. or am I my own person? Like, there's just a lot of interesting stuff with Sid as a final girl and, like, what she can represent. Yeah, and she she states that, like, she doesn't want to be in a horror movie. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, can I be in a rom-com? Yeah. You know? Or a porno, she says, looking very uncomfortable to be saying that. I know. God, poor girl. Um, And so I also can't help but notice, and I'm going to use the word quintessential two more times, okay? Um, So Halloween is the quintessential modern slasher, right? Um, and Scream, obviously not at this point, but ends up becoming the quintessential postmodern slasher. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're continually making these references and, you know, um, allusions, mm-hmm. right, to Halloween, the qu- here I go yeah. again, the quintessential yeah. slasher film to, like, a new generation of slasher film. Do we want to talk about how we would survive a slasher? Yeah, since right? we're talking so, about quintessential slasher shit. And we're talking about how Sydney feels like... You know, she doesn't want to be in a horror movie. She doesn't like horror movies. Yeah. She wants to be in a rom-com. Right? And she sort of goes in between doing the things that girls typically do in movies, like running upstairs. She does. She runs the And r- being our direction. kind of, like, virginal girl, but then actually she loses her virginity. But she has this weird relationship with sex that's, like, kind of different than normal final girls. And, like, how she just, like, she goes back and forth between. Like, she doesn't follow the rules of a horror film, and then sometimes she does. Right, yeah. And, like, what are those rules? How do we survive? Right. How do we? So, you know, we we don't always get we don't get to pick our genre, which yeah. I think is something Billy says. Yeah. We don't get to pick our genre. Yeah. Um, Life's all one big movie. We just don't get to pick our genre. So let's say that our genre is a slasher film. Yeah. 
Um, and just to be clear, we're saying, how would we survive in a slasher film, not if we were in a situation where there was an actual killer and this was real life? I'll start. Yeah. I'm 100% using the buddy system. Oh, God, I yes. I truly believe in the no splitting up, right? I also think to add on to that, if yes. I can. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to not get too paranoid about people. Mm-hmm. And to, like, I mean, there's an extent to which not trusting somebody could save you. Mm-hmm. But I think often you get into more problems when you have a suspicion towards everybody and don't have anybody you can trust and right. turn on each other because that's when you start to split up. And this makes me think of bodies, bodies, bodies. I was thinking of bodies, bodies, bodies too, yeah. where it really comes into play. And there's actually another thing when I was thinking of how would I survive a slasher film that made me think of bodies, bodies, bodies. Um, but before before that, um, also I would make sure the doors and windows are locked. Always. I mean, that's true, always. Yeah, like... Uh, 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 uh. Casey, what are you doing? Yeah, Casey, like, she's, like, only once she becomes truly scared, she starts locking doors. And I was like, it's too late now. Yeah. It's too late. You needed to lock those doors 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah, maybe 20. I mean, it turns out that they weren't in the house, but still. It doesn't matter. Those should have been locked. Um... Especially, well, but also her, her house had quite a lot of, like, glass windows. Like, a lot I know. of glass. So it was bad either way, rough, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, make sure I'm in a place with very few glass windows. Yeah, that I mean, that's seems to that. standard. Um, I also mentioned uh, that I would definitely be wanting to avoid public gatherings. That's right. right. I would yeah. avoid that you part of the party. You want a small group, yes. your core people who you do feel like you can trust. Um, but if this, if that couldn't be avoided, um, I'm definitely continuing to use my buddy system and staying in the most populated place of that party. I'm not going into the oh, garage God. to get beer. Yeah. I'm not going into a bedroom to, to have, have sex. sex with my boyfriend. God, right, no. no. I am staying in i'm staying where they're watching the movie yeah and honestly you know um no offense but i'm surrounding myself with women yeah uh again you know the 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 more penises the more dangerous yes um to be a little bit gender essentialist uh, very gender essentialist but yeah that, but slasher movies tend to be nothing for you know uh, trans people and gender non-conforming people who happen to have penises like it just in these films yeah I mean, in the idea, actually, eventually we will probably talk about, like, in the same way that we have the bisexual killer tropes. We have right. a lot of tropes about, like, tran- transgender yes. killers and yeah. just the problems with all of that. Right. So just to recap, buddy system. Mm-hmm. I want as many women mm-hmm. as possible um, for my buddy system. We're all going to make sure that the doors and windows are locked and secured, right? Um, and we're probably going to keep it small, right? I, yeah. maybe, I think maybe in my apartment would be a good, safe yeah. place to hang out. And we would do, like... Nothing that could be considered as like morally ambiguous. I was like, I got a bunch of puzzles. Yeah, yeah. we could just do some puzzles. We'll and just chill with some puzzles and not drink or smoke. And yeah, yeah. So that's how I'm surviving a slasher. Film. Okay, yeah. Mine are a little more surface based. I think that's I fine. I don't think I have as much of a reference pool to take from as you do. That's okay. Um, I think I'd want to be a brunette. Really good point. And so, and this is the thing is that I am a brunette. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah. I, it's not something I think of. It's my privilege yeah. as a dark-haired person. Yeah, yeah. us blondies really got to watch out. You really do. Tatum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tatum. I mean, and it's like a big point in, to go back to Cabin in the Woods, where they make her dye her hair blonde when she's going to be the whore. Yeah, to make her jewels. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's how they do it, is that's the dumb blonde true. thing. And, like, I just think that there's equation with blondes yes. and being the whore or yes. being the first kill. Yes. And I feel like redheads probably aren't super safe either, just guessing based on tropes around redheads. You definitely want to be a brunette. You're right. Yeah, brunettes are going to be safer. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that also goes around along with, like, the idea of being more virginal, to have that kind of... They don't have the same stereotypes around it. Yeah, because, absolutely. you know, dumb beauty standards and all of that. Yeah, blondes have more, f- more fun. 
whatever. Yeah. 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 So dye your hair. Yeah. Got it. What else? Yeah. Though I don't know. That can make me cheap and fake. Though that might be make me more of a killer than a be killed. I don't know. Mm. And yeah, you got to dress modestly. Yeah. I got to get rid of all my crop tops. Yeah. I can't wear a crop top. That'd be stupid. What you could do is like don yourself in all of your like dinosaur wear. Oh yeah, because that's qu- quite like childish and yeah, virginal too. You'd yeah. be like, I got dinosaurs on my shoes. You can't kill me. Kill me. I'm sweet and cute. And yeah. Just a no nothing innocent child. Yeah. 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 No, that was really my main ones were like those ideas. Right. I don't yeah. have a lot else. I don't know how you survive a slasher because I don't watch a lot of them. <laughs> It's true, right? And and then, of course, there's, like, the occasional slasher that really bends the rules, right? Yeah. Um, and you never know when you're going to be in that one. Right. Like, we talk about with, is it Scream 4? Yeah. Where it becomes the thing of, like, you can't kill me. I'm gay. I'm we're g- we're yeah. past the point of burying your gays. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> It right, would be yeah. wrong, you know? Oh, yeah, because uh, because when Scream 4 comes along, and that's the, another really great thing, what I really enjoy about this franchise is that they still take the original concept of how do you survive the rules a of a horror film and continue to let it evolve the way that horror movies evolve. Right. I do think that um, queer women are having a moment of survival right now. Oh. They went through that, like... I bodies, think was, bodies, bodies. They went through that spring where they were killed in a lot of TV shows, like, all at the same time. Okay. It was a big deal. It actually ended up being... Like, a bunch of petitions happened after that, especially with Lexa dying in the 100. Okay. Don't watch that show, but okay. Yeah. Of, like, hey, let's stop killing queer women all the time always. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And, like, it became, like, because it was just, like, 80 shows in a row that just all killed their queer women. Wow. And I don't watch any of those shows. And I watch all of them. So I was a part of it. Yeah. (laughs) So, So, but now it's sort of, like, had this, like, bounce back where we we are seeing a lot more queer women in the place either occasionally of being the killer but normally if she is the killer it's because she's in a movie with a bunch of other queer women mm. who are also like the survivors right. and we're having a lot more queer women as final girls mm-hmm. yes so i don't know that might help that might help being, being yeah. a queer woman yeah. might help i'm telling you man it, again not to be gender essentialist but penises yeah i'm not sure that queer men are having that same moment or even trans people of any, you know, any well, gender. And I mean, like, I would say that, you know, in, in media, we are starting to get more trans representation, but it's still abysmal. Yeah, I can think of, you know? I can think of one horror film called Bitten, I think, okay. or Bite, Bitten, okay. that has, like, a trans woman as one of the main characters who, oh. like, gets turned into a vampire. So she's, like, kind of the killer, but also, like, she's getting revenge against bad men, you know? Oh, so she's, like, cool. also kind of our final girl, I you know? Seen it. Yeah, I don't know that... I feel like being a man in a horror film even now is sort of a precarious place. I feel like there's an extent to which maybe you won't get murdered. And if you are, you will get murdered less graphically. It'll be well, like yeah. something quicker, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's like a safety in that. But then there's also the fact that you probably you're going to be a killer. There's like a higher chance that you're going to be a killer too. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to be. I mean, I guess that's safer. But like if you're a girl, you're either going to get murdered horribly or you're going to be the only person who survives. Right. And then you have to be left with that trauma. Yeah. Of all your friends being dead. All your friends are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the case of the Scream franchise, it happens again. Oh, Sid. And then again. Oh, Sid, Sid, Sid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So and I'm I'm actually really looking forward to I you know obviously it's not at the top of the list but eventually we will make our way through all of the, the screams all of the screams right yeah. uh, just like we will the even, purges even scream three and it'll be really interesting to to kind of 
to continue to explore the things that we were just talking about, about, uh, you know, the rules of the horror movie changing as society changes, mm -hmm. you know, um, the role of, of women versus men and, and queer people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's all in there. It's all yeah. in this franchise. And, like, what is being subtextual at what times and what is being textual, yeah. like the way that we can compare this first Scream with all of that subtextual gay shit mm -hmm. to Scream 5 where we finally have, like, actually, you know, and Scream 4, where yeah. we actually have characters who are gay yeah, or whatever. You know, we have a girl in Scream 5 who has a little rainbow pin on her jacket, you yeah, know, and we're like, like right, making we added it. with a girl. Yes, yes. And really a missed opportunity to not have the final killers be, like, actually lesbians. But, you know, I guess they didn't want to hey, play with the there's gonna be a psycho scream. lesbians. There's going to be a Scream 6. Yeah. There's time. I'm ready you know. for psycho lesbian killers. I don't know. I know other people are like, we've done it. But, like, but we haven't have we done, done it, it right. In the 21st century? Yeah. yeah. Could we give it that spin? Absolutely. Yeah. We want to thank you for listening to Deep Thought Shallow Plots. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And huge shout out to our producer, Matt Williams. Always here to help us with all of our sound needs. Yep. And the mics have been weird. Like I've noticed both of us are kind of messing with our mics a little bit. I don't bit know. Yeah, they, yeah. I hope. Way to go, Matt. Never I, mind. I take back my thanks. No, thanks, Matt. Anyway, he's a great guy and he's a great producer and a pretty cool musician. And a great too. guy <laughs> who I would trust in a horror situation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, join us next time. We're going to be talking about uh, Cabin Fever. So thanks a bunch for listening. Um, and, you know, don't forget, there's always some bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. But you should probably just break up with her anyway. <laughs>